Hello, you're listening to Michael's Office, a podcast which hosts my unfiltered, unscripted, and genuine thoughts about things going on in the entertainment world today. This week, I brought on a bunch of guests, and a number of them you've heard before, and we're doing the best 2022 film podcast. Um, it was a great episode. I'm so sorry that I didn't get it to you as soon as I recorded it. I've been focusing on other things, and that's my fault. But it's a really great episode, and it'll be well worth your time. So please, enjoy and step into my office. All right, I am so excited to be back. Um, It's been a while since I've recorded an episode, but I think the best way to come back is with a group. And this group of people, uh, you guys have heard on the podcast before, uh, especially with last year's episode or previous episodes. But this day, this week, I have brought on Jack. Yo, what's up? (laughs) I have brought back T-Rex. Heck yeah. I brought back Quentin. I'm back, baby. And brought back Sush. It's the Sush. Oh, the Sush. Sorry, my apologies. And then I brought back Sammy. And this week we'll be talking about our favorite films or what we thought was the best of 2022. Um, and our picks are Bardo, uh, Bones and All, The Fablemans, Everything Everywhere, Northman, and RRR. If you guys now have seen these films, go check them out. We're going to be talking about why we picked them or why they're our favorites of the year. And first off, uh, we're going alphabetically. Uh, I'm, I'm going with my pick, which was Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths by Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. Um, and the reason I chose this film uh, is not because it's my favorite. It is not my favorite. It's in like my top 25 of the year. I've seen about like 100 films from last year, and it's in my top 25. The reason I chose it, I think it would create and generate the best discussion because of how divisive it is, not among not only among the film community, uh, but mostly between like English speakers and Spanish speakers. And I think instead of having a thing where we're all going to be like, yeah, that film was great, I think having a film that is so generally so divisive where people either they hate it or they love it or like it, they really like it, um, I think that'll create the best discussion about something that uh, I think is one of the most personal thing, films of the year. Uh, it's one of the most ambitious films of the year. Uh, I, and it's oftentimes has some of the most transcendent moments that I've seen all year. And to see something on screen and get that made is made a, like, completely worthy of my respect and is such a respectable thing and I think that's why I chose it. I also love Enyuriku as a director. That's why I chose it. So uh, before that, uh, what are your guys' thoughts about the film? So whoever wants to go first, tell um, me what you thought about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I can go first because I saw it, uh, I think twice. Yeah, I saw it twice. Um, I saw it once uh, in theaters uh, when it was playing at the Netflix theater in New York City. Um, I saw it with uh, Seagull and uh, Sam, and that was a really like fun uh, adventure because it was one of those experiences that we didn't like really know what we were getting ourselves into, because especially with the opening scene where uh, Silvero is uh, flying across uh, the Mexican mm-hmm. desert, 
and then it just cuts to like the hospital and then you're trying to like figure out what's going on and then <laughs> the the opening of like the baby uh, coming out of the womb and then <laughs> later uh, realizing that uh the baby doesn't want to like stay out he wants to like go back into the womb and it's just it's just the whole thing of that and then eventually it just turns into like a very like surreal like dreamy like experience that uh can't really like quantify or like really like explain like fully without uh knowing what's actually uh is going on it's mostly just about uh mexican life and the the artist the tortured artist uh right and how he's going through a lot of like things in uh the current times if that makes sense yeah i i remember describing it like a a dream play which generally like there is this does not have much of a narrative at all it is really Severo going through life in his creative struggles. And yeah, I didn't know what I was going to get into. I just knew about the baby thing, but I didn't know he was going to, he was going to start out with him flying. I mean, I think I went to grab the poster. I don't know what I did. I think I went to the bathroom before, like as the trailers were wrapping up. So I just missed it. I'm like, what the heck is going on? He's flying across the Mexican desert. Um, it didn't come back to it, that obviously that obviously means something when the film ends but um it was just like it's such a yeah you don't know what you're getting into and it's just so many wild events back to back i mean not super wild but there's this it's just so many crazy things and uh, the narrative there again there's not much of a narrative there which i i, I really like and, and i was fascinated when i saw it in the theater yeah yeah i can agree with that um and then it's just also just uh, following just like this uh, this uh, adventure where you you don't know where you're going, but uh, you're just mm-hmm. like watching it and experiencing it. Um, and even like the moments where you're just like, I don't know where this is going. Something then something crazy happens, and it just like keeps you like attentive. Right. Uh, I think uh, it's very much like I think Inirito is trying to just do his best to portray his life. And maybe not his life, not only his life, but life in general, because sometimes it'd be something as mundane, even in the film, uh, when we get to the part where he's arguing with his family at the, the, the dinner table, it's some, there's something crazy that's got to follow up. And it might not be crazy to like other people, but it's something that's really stressful or really crazy in our lives that happen. Like, that's just how life works. And I really, like looking upon reflection, I love that Inirito always will follow something mundane or just kind of normal with something absolutely in batch, bat, bat crazy. <laughs> yeah, so T, TJ, what do I, you, you saw it. What do you think? Uh, so this was like the last film I watched for this kind of a mad rush to get it all done for. Um, and I admit, I was kind of putting this one off because I probably wouldn't have seen it had it not been for this podcast. And after like the first two minutes, I was like visibly saying out loud, what the fuck? <laughs> right. If you if you've seen this movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and it just gets weirder from there. And like for the first hour or so, I was just like entranced because I didn't want to miss a second of it because I knew it was all every every little thing meant something, you know. Um, it wasn't clear because it was all sort of symbolic and it was sort of this hyper realized version of reality where you can tell this is 
this guy's daily life, but it it's weirder than that, right? Things are more direct. Um, and you can tell it's sort of his feelings manifesting into his reality. Stuff like that one scene where he's he's being insulted on live TV. Um, Such and I guess that kind of, yeah, it really is. And I guess that feeds into like the main interpretations of the film of like, because that's what's fun to discuss about it is like, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, are, can we get into spoilers for these movies? Uh, sure. I mean, um, I think the people, I'll, I'll probably put in the intro like, hey, skip to this amount of minutes for this movie. If you haven't seen this movie and you don't want to avoid spoilers, I think, I think I'll put in the intro like the timestamps as best as I can because I'll be editing it. So, yeah, we can get into spoilers. Okay, I I would th- I would say that um, that that the whole I mean I didn't really understand all of it, but from my perspective, it seemed like the movie was like his dying dream, because at the end of the movie he has the stroke, and just the whole movie has been Inuarato reflecting back on his life, um, and he got the sort of the push and pull between. You know, he's from Mexico, but he spends all his time in America and he's being pulled between the two worlds. Um, and you can tell he's he's like facing all this criticism from people back home and he's having all these family issues uh, and he just doesn't know where he stands as a person. And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I say like, and I still think this is a great, this is a good movie, but I just think that at a certain point, I just checked out of the film because it was just bombarding me with like all this like weird imagery and i think it was probably like when he's sitting on top of like the the pile of corpses yeah um talking about like cortez i was just like what what's going on anymore and i mentally i'd say i just checked out it was still a good movie and i just admire because it just it feels like it's filled with so much passion Mm-hmm. Um, not even just with effort, but like this, it's this guy just laying on the screen, just his raw emotions, and he's getting it across in like the the weirdest way possible. But it feels like this is the way he wants to portray it, where it's like, I'm just gonna flood a, a subway car, or I'm gonna put my head, my head on like a child's body and talk to my dead father. Yeah, and yeah. or I'm just gonna show the the final and last scenes of me jumping around in the desert from like a first person perspective like none of it makes sense and and in that sense i feel like he just he made this movie for himself but there's something to respect about that you know just going Mm -hmm. full throttle with his crazy ass ideas um yeah uh i think uh, look i i agree on that part um again it's not my favorite film of the year. At points, for me, I even I watched it in the theater. So it's not like you watched it on Netflix. You didn't get the benefit of being, I don't want to say trapped in a theater, but I think in a theatrical space, you get basically, you get the benefit of like knowing you can't pause it and you just got to watch it. And like, you got to be strung along for the ride. I felt like while in something like Decision Weave, which at points where I felt like, where is this going? Where I have the question of where this is going. It was more like, where is this going? And then it felt like Inuritu was kind of grabbing my wrist and pulling me along on this journey. Um, and like, I was just like, where, where is this going? 
I mean, in the part you checked out, I think it was building up. That part was just building up to one big joke. It was that that was one of the fun. I was laughing the hardest when the when it was when it was revealed what the scene was about, which is basically it, it, it's a, a movie set, which was so funny to me. I thought this was going to be some big metaphorical thing, and then it turned out to be it's just a movie set. And the reason it goes wrong, the reveal is uh, 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 Cortez, the actor playing Cortez, throws a flicks a cigarette at one of the actors and, and they break character and they get really annoyed and it's really funny. Uh, and also, again, for those listening, this movie is really funny, but I mean, uh, pretty funny, by the way, like the, uh, the baby going to the womb, the whole, that's a whole joke. It's dark and it's weird, but it's funny. <laughs> they like, they're all surprised and they're like, wait, what, what, like, and then, and then, yeah, I think it's, um, uh, Silvero, Silverio gets very confused as to why they're putting the baby back in the womb. It's very funny. Um, uh, and also the, the when you talk about the, the baby, the, ba the, the Silverio on the child's head, that's a very funny imagery. I mean, in context, it's not, kind of not because it's a really sweet scene, but it's very funny when you just think about it. <laughs> it's a very funny image. Yeah. Um, no, like I, I can attest to that. Because um, especially when it gets to that scene where he's uh, reminiscing of his father um, and then it's kind of like it's basically like a flashback, but like in a way where he's using his childhood um, and then projecting himself, uh, his current self onto the child, the, mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. But um, yeah. it's just it's it's a funny scene, but like also it's very touching because his, his father just like he he's out of his life and now he wants to kind of like tell his father that uh what, what everything he's been he's been doing it's all for him and um his his mother and uh, everybody else his entire family yeah again such a sweet scene and it's um like him just like it's it's very comforting to see um often grown adults like still kind of need their parents like even like somebody as successful as Inyaritu or Silverio in this scene, in this movie, he's still feeling lost and confused about what to do. And then he just goes back to his parents and they give him these very comfortable, comforting words about how life works and how his life's going to work out. Uh, I, I really like that. Um, we've been talking for a bit. Sammy, uh, I know you, you, you love this movie. What are your thoughts about it? You haven't, you've been pretty silent. I thought you would probably join I me. have. Yeah, no, I do love this movie, but I like, do not know why necessarily. I, I feel like the whole movie is like pretty subjective from the, from like start from like front to back. Like it's more of him putting out in it, putting out his emotions and the way he sees fit more so than translating it in any way that you could make sense of it. And I feel like that's the right. conceit of it. And I'm fine with that. Like, I don't really care about making sense of it. I think the, I think the sadness comes across that he, you know, can't reconnect with, you know, his like Mexican life or his American life. He somehow can't find the balance or even like mix them together. Like going back and forth is like in a plane is trying to find a boundary between both, but not able to like mix it together. But um, the one scene I think that really like summarizes the whole thing up for me, I think is the dance scene where it moves between Oh, yeah, from the start, it's like such a because I, I saw this in the theater too. Um, I think I took like a two hour drive just to, on chance, decided to go watch it. But yeah, great scene. I was, I think, 
that's when I really got into the movie because it was actually fun for once and I felt like it was being fun on purpose instead of just pretentious but yeah that's the scene where it goes between um it starts off with like I I think a Mexican song where everyone's just dancing together it's really it's really communal and how it plays across you know the whole families together and then I can't remember where it starts but then it transitions into this um English song and then the camera starts to flow back while like um I guess Inari is you know counterpart on screen just stays by himself he's not dancing with his family dancing with anyone he's just dancing by himself and I feel like that's like the whole point of it. like the American way is very it's it's like more um isolated compared to the Mexican way where it's very communal more and more family-based and I feel like that's that at least to me at the end of the day got the whole conceit of it down I I, I love that that is one of my favorite scenes of the year the dance scene yeah me it's, too it's this trippy uh, again, I, I think you really nailed it, Sammy. Um, it's this trippy uh, experience, and just it's just the way the camera moves. But I think you talked about how it's a pinpoint, and, and even I think that even the build up to that scene, where they're interviewing Inaritu or Silverio about what is his stance as is, is he Mexican? Is he American? Like, and then Silverio gives him like this very middle ground answer, like. He, he said, you know, I love my country. Or he, he said he doesn't give him a direct answer. He kind of avoids the question. And um, uh, that is, that's that. And that's why I like it a whole a lot. Um, yeah, so I kind of agree there. So uh, another, and another scene I really loved that we mentioned earlier, the interview scene where he's being humiliated on public television. I think, uh, and I think Jack and I talked about it on our podcast, but the thing that really brings it together and made me go, oh, so that's what this movie is about. Uh, I think or one of the things that it's about is when uh, it, it, it's this crisis of identity uh, and him trying to figure out who he is as a person. Uh, is, he, is he Mexican? Is he, is he a, 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 basically, is he a gringo? Is he somebody who's trying to, uh, he's trying to like, uh, what is it? Uh, kiss up the American audiences and forget his his heritage, or is he uh, uh, going to be someone who sticks to what uh, Mexico wants? Um, so there's there's that. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's also the <clears throat> it also kind of contrasts the scene in the airport where uh, the travel agent guy or the the TSA guy set, uh, tells him that America is not his home. And he gets really offended by that because he spent so much of his life here and his kids have pretty much spent their whole lives there. Um, and it is kind of that push and pull where he doesn't he doesn't really know where he lies. Because, like, I imagine that when he's when he's talking about how the, the main character, Silvero, gets awards in America, I'm sure he's talking about, like, how his previous movies were, like, really popular with like the academy awards and all that i, I still haven't seen uh any of his previous movies uh, obviously after this film i'm probably gonna have to check them out um but what i always hear from those movies is like oh the what the one shots are just amazing and the one shots in here are also just fantastic where you'll see him even when it's something where he's just walking around a tv set the camera will just follow him the whole way 
Uh, and you just got to think about how much rehearsing that takes, how much effort that takes. And the fact that he does it so many times throughout the movie is just astounding. This isn't shot by Chivo, though, is it? I thought it was no. somebody else this time. Yeah. It's no, it's made not. It's to look like that. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I think it was shot by somebody else that uh, he, he hired that uh, just emulates uh, Chivo's cinematography. Yeah, because that's like he Chivo is a big reason why his other films are so good. He, I mean, he won what was it, best cinematographer three years in a row or something like just insane, almost unheard of. So, yeah, TJ, you gotta watch those movies just for the how beautiful they are, really. The closest you can get to Bardo and like internment in Yuritu's filmography is probably Birdman. Is yeah, probably Birdman's Birdman. the one. Um, but I'd, I'd rather start with the, the trilogy where he's doing a bunch of the intertwined stories. I agree. I need to watch Amores, Pero, uh, Amores uh, Perros and uh, 21 Grams. I watched Babel. Babel was yeah, that was, that was the last one I watched, uh, Amores Perros. I, that was the last one I didn't see from him. And that was actually really good. Mm-hmm. I hear it's well, it's on the Criterion Collection. So, you know, I got it. it. It's obviously great if it's a part of that. Um, uh, I think we should start wrapping up soon and give other people a chance. So those who have seen it, what are our favorite scenes? And I give, uh, give a little reason why. I already said my favorite scene. It's the dance party scene. Uh, I was just mesmerized the whole time. Uh, it's an excellent piece of filmmaking uh, from, from there. So what about you, Jack? What is your favorite um, scene? So I'm stuck between the scene where they released the baby out of the water uh, was the fetus. Um, and it's like this really like touching scene where it, the music swells and it's like a long scene of the baby crawling into the water. Um, and the, the actual finale scene um, is another one where uh, he he di- well, he died. He has a stroke. He dies and, and um, he gets uh, was it this tree of life moment where he gets to meet all of his family. And it's like this big, like long kind of like. T- long taken in the desert and he's he's seeing all his family and it's like very like cathartic uh but i like those two scenes and obviously the the let's dance scene is like a1 like perfect uh i'd say my favorite part of the film it's tricky because the scenes feel like they stand alone and don't connect as much compared to like a normal movie but if I had to pin down what were my favorite scene or scenes, I'd say probably the scenes where he is subconsciously like criticizing himself, you know, like the scene at the the game show or the 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 TV show that he was on, or that scene on the rooftop where the guy's just giving him shit. Um, and I imagine like the rooftop scene is more like what. Uh, critics say about his films but i just think that those scenes were so relatable in how he gets wrapped up in all this stuff that people are saying about him uh and the way that he projects that onto reality where it's just people coming up and telling him this stuff and i especially love how in the in the in the rooftop scene he uh he's talking with the guy and then he fires back with all of his criticisms about journalism and in his mind, no words come out of the guy's mouth after that because he's just done. 
so I just I really like those two scenes in particular. They aren't the most elaborate, but they they definitely connected with me the most. Oh wait, am, am I the only one who has seen it? Okay, yeah. I um the dancing scene, great, fun. Also the also like the scene where he um I keep on forgetting character. It's Silverio. Yeah, he he's like pinned down to the ground while his daughter's giving a, a I I wouldn't say a speech, but he she's like talking about her loss. I feel like that's where the whole movie clicked for me, where it's he's forced to reckon or forced to just stare at his family, kind of just lose him to his filmmaking. And I feel like that's the first time everything clicked for me. So that scene too. Great. Let's move on to the next film, which is, I believe, Bones and All. So, Jack, why'd you choose Bones and All? Well, um, I love Luca Guadagnino. Um, he's one of my favorite directors, like top five straight up. It's like whenever he has a movie coming out, like I get really excited. Um, I haven't been disappointed with a lot of his movies uh, past uh, Call Me By Your Name. Um, so when he said that he was going to make a movie that's like a blend of like romance and horror, like I got really excited. Um, and then I watched the movie uh, first time at uh, New York Film Festival. And well, it was like a rerun of it because um, I missed the entire uh, uh, special like first screening of it. So I, I watched it again. Well, it, it was playing again at the, the Alamo. So I, I saw it over there and I was taken by it um i think it's one of the the best like horror movies of last year uh, especially since like there was a lot of like great like horror movies um and we were like eating like really good with them and then this one <laughs> pun intended um and then this movie comes out and it just like it just spins the whole entire like genre on its head and it still like has like a, a like an authentic like feel to it um, and it's just, I don't know, like, I, I, I love it. Like, it's, it's, it's very, like, r- romantic and, like, also very, like, scary. And you don't know where, it, where it's going to go. And all the characters, like, you feel, it's, you relate to them because they're all, like, trapped in, like, a, like a world where people don't understand them. And it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a really good movie. I, I love it. Yeah, I'll just jump in. Like, I, I totally agree with Jack. I watched this this week um, and I was just blown away by his, I, can't, I don't know, Luca, I guess, I don't know how to say his last name, but his ability to kind of depict something so out there and so brutal in such a beautiful way. I was really drawn by the beauty of the film um, and the juxtaposition with, well, for lack of a better term, the blood um and i've never really seen that in a film not that i can like really recall um with just like mixing romance and horror at the same time so i yeah i also really enjoyed it for that fact and um yeah it's just i don't know it gave me such a weird feeling but like i wanted to hide my my eyes and like look away but at the same time, like I just couldn't. I had to watch, and I really struggled with the last scene of the film because it's so brutal, and yet it's so like beautiful in a way that's tragic at the same time that you just like you want to watch and see what happens. But it's for me, it was like it was really difficult at the same time. So, yeah, not a lot of movies can uh, evoke that feeling out of me. So I really appreciated that. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, wait, did anybody else see it uh, in, in here? I, I did. I think okay. everyone's seen it. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, wait, what'd you think about it, uh, TJ? Okay, so here's the thing. I used to be like really scared of gore. That's why I didn't watch Suspiria that one time. But I think over the last couple of years, I've kind of realized that I'm kind of desensitized to a lot of that stuff. Um, I don't get as freaked out about it as much anymore. And I like that because it allows me to watch a lot more movies. But my one thing, my one thing that still really gets me, cannibalism. That shit creeps me out. I'll just be straight up. Bones and All is probably the closest I've ever come to throwing up in a film. The The Fly was pretty close. Cronenberg's The Fly was really close. But this almost got me there because of how gross it is and then like you know the, the the finger um that one scene there's like just i don't even want to describe it but it's just like and i think at a certain point i had to realize i'm disgusted by this i'm horrified by this but that means the film is working right they are intentionally doing this as much as i might not like this feeling this is exactly what they're going for and when you when you contextualize it through that, you realize, okay, this is actually a really good movie, and that I I do think I do think that this is a very good movie because what the director is doing is that he's essentially like pairing cannibalism, and he's viewing that he's using that to explore, you know, young love and that feeling of not fitting in with everyone around you, but finding that one person who does. And you just share this like really beautiful bond. And that's what I really love about it is that um, there are so many uh, ways you can apply something like that to the real world, but it's with cannibalism. And I think that actually makes it uh, connect all the more because it's hard to explain, but it, it just witnessing it made me feel so vulnerable. It made me feel um just so disgusted and I was just feeling all these emotions and because of that it left me open to feel like what the, what they were trying to make me feel about this message of love uh, and this them being young and youth it's hard to describe but I think just the way he was able to pair these really disgusting this really disgusting imagery and these really disgusting topics with them just being kids and trying to figure out their complex feelings I think it was just the perfect pair here and i just i can't praise him and i just can't praise luca quoting you know enough for making it all work because this could have fallen apart at the seams but he makes it work uh yeah um my thoughts are going to be different from everybody else um i thought the horror part was really great i was uncomfortable i was on edge especially with mark rylance's character sully you don't like sully um uh, he was always he was always there to put you on edge. Like, even though he stated like one of his rules, eaters don't eat other eaters. Um, you could tell something was gonna go awry, especially with his relationship with uh, Marin, uh, with Marin, his relationship with Marin. Like, you felt like something was off. And then his his basically final open scene with like he's out in the public with with Marin, then then what what goes on there is like oh dear what is going to happen what's going to happen between them is he not going to meet her again 
or is he going to come back? You don't know what's going to happen. And um, uh, that's really unsettling. Again, the horror was a really great aspect. And it's gross, and you can't get a look away. I think the highlight of this, the grossest part for me, was when uh, Leon, not Leon, that's his fake name, uh, Lee seduces the carny, and then they kill him. And then they, as he's dying, they're eating him, and it's, and also the uh, opening scene is very visceral with the finger bite. Um, it's in the trailer, so that's not much of a spoiler, but um, the opening scene is very visceral. So like just building up to it, because if you've seen the trailer, you know what's coming, and you're just like waiting for it, like, okay, here it comes. And then the, it's like a slow build, and it's just so dreadful. But to me, the romance doesn't work as well, because I feel like, this is me personally, I, I like it. I want the romance to build, and I don't think we get enough intimate moments with the characters. And I feel like they fall in love way too fast. But maybe, I maybe I know that that happens in real life because some people like fall in love for in the first two weeks, and then they're married, you know. But I, I'm one of those people I want to see the intimate moments spread and then slowly start falling in love. And I think the romance would have been earned if their first kiss would have been when. Lee and Marin had that really intimate moment on the hill where Lee's like, am I a good person? Which is the best scene in the movie, for sure. I love the hilltop scene. I love the final hilltop scene where there is. Yeah, that's like top 10, like best scenes of last year, like straight up. It's it's one of the, I agree, it's in one of the better, it's not in my personal top 10, but it's, it's really up there. It's a really beautiful, intimate, and I think uh, Luca, again, Guadagnino, Guadagnino does intimacy, I don't think, uh, maybe other than Barry Jenkins, because I have I need to see Barry Jenkins' other stuff, but uh, he's top tier in terms of intimacy and uh, human connection when it comes to uh, Luca Guadagnino and Call Me By Your Name, and especially with this and those moments. When the intimate moments shine, they're like, oh, top tier. But I was not uh, hugely responding to Mayor and Lee's relationship. I just think because I think they fell in love too fast from me personally. Um, but the horror is great. Yeah, that's, that's actually fair. Um, uh, wait, so Quentin, what do you think about it? Yeah, sorry, I was quiet for so long. There's a lot of meat on this bone. I just had to chew on it for a little bit. But um, now I think I'm ready to talk about it. I, I, you know, bones and all, I like it. It's one of those movies that I like. I just don't know if it's for me. And honestly, I'm kind of closer to Michael than I am with Trex here. Uh, the, the cannibalism, don't know if there's something wrong with me. Didn't bother me as much, but it was more so like the relationship. I don't know if I like fully bought it or I fully got into it. Maybe it's because they're cannibals and I'm not, so I couldn't really relate to it. But uh, I was less so into the story as I was into just like the technical part of it. Like cinematography wise, I thought Bones and All was gorgeous. Like I think it's really, really good looking. I think it might be my favorite score of the year. Like, I don't know why this isn't in the running for best score for the year. Like, I could just close my eyes. I'm just like, fuck yeah, this sounds so good. Like, I believe it's the same guys that did Social Network. So maybe I'm a little yeah, biased. It's Trent Reznor but, and yeah. uh, Atticus Ross. They did it. Yeah. yeah. They know how to make a good score. I was sold. Uh, what a great sounding movie. Uh, so I, I had a great time watching it. I kind of agree. Sully is a creepy little fucker. I think he's a really good... Uh, side villain for the film but he's not the focal point I thought their use of him was really good 
he kind of sprinkled it a little bit, was a little creepy at times, but it was mostly focused on the romance. It's good. I just don't know if maybe this director is my thing. Uh, it was kind of my similar issues with Call Me By Your Name, uh, except I, I prefer that because I'm a sucker for summer vibes. I just don't know if he's my cup of tea. I feel like he's always a little too slow. Maybe if I put the films at 1.5x, I'd be sold. I feel like that. Sorry, that was a bit of a slander. <laughs> I just mean like if you just I speed mean... up a little bit story-wise, I'd be into it. Not actually making it 1.5x. Um, but okay. I do like his films. No, but like here's the thing. Like I kind of have his, the issue with with his directing sometimes. Like he he'll he'll introduce the story and it'll take a while for a bit, and then I think the last like 45 minutes yeah. you start to like really feel it, and then the movie just ends. And you're just like fuck. Especially with uh, was it calling by call me by your name? Like once it, it gets to the moment where they finally Oliver and um, uh, Elio like they realize that they they're they're uh they like each other and they're they're really like romantic with each other. The movie just like starts to like have all those romantic scenes and then it just ends and it's just like damn, I want more of that. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of came to an abrupt stop for that movie. Yeah, it's, they I, should have added more to that movie. I agree. There's a there's actually a lot more. Um. I think there's like uh, an hour more of stuff because they cut, uh, was it Martin Scorsese's daughter in it? And there was like a whole subplot where uh, they, they capture her and they eat her and <laughs> just steal all her shit. Wait, sorry, who eats her? Bones and all or call me by your name? Uh, was it Bones and all? I was like, does Army Hammer eat her? Was that part of the script? But no, okay, no, no, like, no, no. <laughs> there's there a moment where was it Lee and Marin? Um, they meet up with uh, was it French Francesca Scorsese, and they have like a little thing, and then it just ends with them eating her, and then just like taking all her shit. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's making that joke where it's like, this is the second Luca Guadagnino film in which Timothy Chalamet is in love with a cannibal classic right right that, that's lucas thing i think uh, i like that jack pointed out i mean i wasn't personally affected by it but i could see how the ending like it's just uh, the film is basically he builds and builds and then when you get these really intimate moments he just wants to crush you like crush your your heart with the fact like oh it's gone too soon this flame was extinguished too soon just when they were getting just what was burning so brightly it got crushed and i think I can respect that. I don't think it works as well here, me personally, as it does in Call Me By Your Name, because in Call Me By Your Name, you get this really beautiful monologue by the dad um, about love and uh, Elio finding love and him uh, being proud of him for Marin having to eat Lee, like having to eat Lee, like I know this is a spoiler for those who haven't seen it, but having to eat him, bones and all, it's like, in a disgustingly beautiful way. Again, I'm not a huge fan of the film. He has to eat him, but at least he'll be physically, like, you know, you'll be in my heart. She'll literally be in Marin's, but he'll literally be in uh, Marin's body, like literally be in her, like, you know? Um, so it's disgustingly beautiful in a way. But again, I that part didn't hit me. That's right, no. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I was like, for me, the ending did come uh, as a big shock. Like I knew something was going to go awry, but I didn't expect it to be kind of that blunt in a way. 
Um, I haven't seen any of Luca's other films. Like I, I haven't seen Suspiria and I didn't watch Call Me By Your Name yet. So I like, I don't know what to expect with this guy, but yeah, that ending was brutal for me because it was so beautiful. I was like, ah, oh, wow, you know, happy life. It's beautiful. Romance. And then Mark Rylance, fucker. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, um, uh, for me it worked I, I i like that because you know you have this like romance between two people who are outcasts and um you know finally connect with somebody for the probably the first time in their lives really and then all of a sudden it's just like you know gone you know like oh okay life isn't fair <laughs> um i haven't heard sammy say much about the movie sammy what are your thoughts I'm just gonna go off the ending like um I, I watched this twice I think the second time is where it clicked for me not the first like that was at New York and that was like right after after sun so I was like dead and I had to watch this so I don't know I it didn't click with me. the romance didn't click with me the first time around I thought the chemistry was off for some reason couldn't tell you why but also I have a friend I was talking about this who's reading the book right now, and apparently it doesn't have as much romance like Luca added it all in which is interesting because I think the movie could go a lot harder on like the cannibalism and romance like i feel like it's very strange for some reason and maybe that's just him being a little subtle okay i just see checks like okay no okay fa fair enough i i'm just i'm a freak we, for this we do not, I like not need I to like see more, more cannibalism listen more blood more guts if i saw more stringy fingers it would be even better like i needed more but yeah and honestly the first time my only problem is problem with it was really sully i didn't he didn't really like assimilate into the movie for me it felt like a side piece just needed some tension here or there and I don't know, everybody in my crowd was laughing at his things. Like it never, like life is never Sully with Dully was got the biggest, for some reason, laugh. It wasn't menacing at all. And then the second time I watched it, I kind of got, I wouldn't say I found it menacing, but I understood why he's there or like, because he's kind of like this incel in the movie and he's just trying to find love. The one time he finds it and then it like with Marin just leaves him and then he's left to like wrestle with that. And then and he can't. And so, like, you know, he has like the most emotional instability and he just goes off and tries to find Marin, which is where it all comes together at the end for me. I think the second time where it felt like, OK, everyone's just trying to find love here. And it's just harder for some people than it is for others. I don't know. It worked. And I did like it. I haven't seen, I think, Luca's any other movies, which maybe I should. I don't know. Call Me By Your Name is a classic, apparently. So I might give yeah, it a shot. You, sh you should get on that. Um, yeah. No, but like I agree. Like when uh, was it Sully appears and he, it's a whole thing where he's kind of like trying to like get Marin to be just like him, and then eventually it's just a whole thing where he's he's very jealous of like the relationship uh he's she's having with uh Lee, and then it's just another thing where he's just like yeah uh I don't like that so I'm just gonna chase you down and try to kill you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I he's never I, gonna be as hot as Timmy too. So you know what? Honestly, right? Yeah, he's never going to be a twink. <laughs> Yeah. he's a dad he's lost the battle he lost the battle um but yeah like <laughs> um yeah i don't know like i i agree when um the first time you see uh mark rylance it's kind of like it throws you off a bit and it's like kind of funny because you're, you're kind of reminded of him of uh his last performance which was uh don't look up and he's basically playing the same thing but like it's more of like a menacing like billionaire like type of role and um he's not like actively killing anyone he's just uh just being a dick um but with this one he's just like doing the same thing with the little uh herbert from a uh, family guy voice like hey there uh i got some candy uh mm -hmm. 
I, I got I got some finger chicken fingers, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like a lot of the the adults in this who uh, have those uh, cannibalistic uh, instincts are kind of like trapped also as well. Um, especially uh, what's his name the the two uh, southern guys uh, hillbillies uh, they meet along the way. Um, I thought that scene was very like scary and like effective, and it's like one of those scenes where you don't know where it's going to go. Um, you don't know whether it's, uh, they're actually being friendly or are they actually like being like people who want to like kill other like eaters just for fun. Um, but yeah, that scene alone was also really effective, and it also brought home the idea of uh, these kids uh, being like roaming around uh, was the landscape of America, and they're all like trying to like figure out what to do while these adults are like already like trapped in their own like other world and they kind of know what they're doing but at the same time they're all like the same as uh lee and marin so yeah i don't know um yeah i was like i thought they were gonna be in ohio or something i'm like god dang it only in ohio but they're in missouri I'm like no that's worse <laughs> because that's and then as soon as they I, came on i'm like ah makes sense that they're in missouri god dang it <laughs> i i think they were only in ohio for like a minute <laughs> Because I think they did uh, yeah. like the little the little text thing like Ohio, and then they were just there for a minute. Or Marin was there for like a minute, and then she went to somewhere else. And was just like, yeah, good thing you get out got out of uh, Ohio quickly. Uh, it's it's a uh, time to wrap up for this part of it. I'm, I wish we could talk more, but my obviously my favorite scene I already mentioned it was the uh, with the end hilltop scene. Um, I really love that. Um, I love the intimacy on this. Everybody's gonna say the hilltop scene, but I actually like the. Kind of like the dream sequence where Lee is uh, thinking about uh, his father and what he did. And it's like this really like kind of like celluloid like dream sequence where it's a bunch of like scenes like shuffling um, in and out. And then you see him like pick up like the the hammer, like the axe and he's like killing his father. And like I, I thought that scene was really effective. And then it just cuts to him at the phone booth and he's talking to uh, his, his sister. And he's like, the sister's like, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come back? And he's just like, no, I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back. Like he's doing the same thing where he's, he, he comes back. He does this little thing with his, uh, his sister and then he just leaves and he, he's still trying to like figure out his own thing. Um, but yeah, I like that scene. I'd say my favorite scene was any scene they were driving because it meant I didn't have to watch them eating people. I guess for real, I'd probably say like, I'll be real. I was hiding behind my bed for most of this. So it's kind of hard to remember all the scenes. Uh, I guess the I think one scene that really stuck out to me was the one where her dad abandons her and she's listening to the tape of like her history and how he just couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, I'm honestly just impressed that dad stuck it out for that long. If, I, if my if my daughter was a psychopath, I'd be out of there. Um, but maybe that sounded cruel, but like, I don't want her to eat me. I think it's kind of fair. <laughs> honestly <laughs> make her somebody else's problem at that point um thank you yeah. Sush. timmy timmy can handle her yeah exactly somebody else can worry about it not me though um i gotta agree uh with jack the way that scene where the yeah he's like recounting what he did to his dad that was really effective in the editing and especially the cut to the phone booth it's just there's a lot of that seemingly in this film where like especially with the end where it just kind of cuts to, to like either an ending or to like a completely different scene and it takes you out a little bit but you're like what the heck did I just watch like that was crazy so for me it's also like the last scene which 
uh, I really, really liked. Um, it's been seared in my brain since I watched it, and I just can't get those images out of it, out of my head. Um, and it's a pretty intense scene. Uh, um, but yeah, those two were really, really good. And I also liked the driving scenes. They just seemed really vibey and like nice, uh, kind of like a break from the chaos. Um, so yeah, that, that was it for me. Yeah, I, I think for me, honestly, like I think my favorite, the one that sticks with me the most for just some stupid reason is the one where we, we like meet Lee or Timmy for the first time and he's just being super charming in the grocery store. I don't know. I, I kind of love that. I, I always love seeing him, you know, being charming. So that's my favorite. It is a good scene too. Yeah, I know. It's, it's great. It's, it's Listen, weird. it's the only other scene in the movie that's like lighthearted and not having them eat, eat, eat other people. So stuck with me the most. It quickly I mean, cuts to that though. <laughs> Yeah, but oh, yeah, also, until, until it all goes wrong, but it's still true. Yeah. Until that. Yeah. yeah, but also that scene where, um, was it he's dancing to shit? Uh, oh my kiss. god, you're right. Yeah, That's basically anything before the movie really starts going with Timmy's has been in my mind a good bit. Charming guy, charming guy. Sammy's favorite scene was meeting Timothy Chalamet, my favorite yeah, yeah. scene was meeting Mark Rylance, baby. I oh, loved good. the first scene we saw Sully with his stupid ass voice. Jack described it perfectly. I don't know. I was not, a, I didn't know Mark Rylance was in this movie. So when like the shot of him far away, I thought it was like some homeless guy just staring at her. I was like, oh, all right. I guess she's going to eat like some homeless dude. And then it was Mark Rylance, with, like his weird ass voice. I died laughing. So I don't know why but that scene was awesome it's a good scene because he's like i smelled you from a mile away <laughs> yeah i was like he was a spiky guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. I, I love that scene it was so funny <laughs> a creepy ass dude but he's yeah. so charming too like mark yeah. rylance just in all his movies he's got a weird charm about him that makes wait, it wait, like wait. charming in this I don't know. well like he's that? just he's he's definitely weird but just it being mark rylance and has like calm demeanor and it's like like i can't trust you but like what's your what's your angle dude like what's what's going on here like what's are you actually here? gonna cook me dinner or are you gonna cook me i don't know <laughs> there's something about that, that i i enjoyed <laughs> i trust mark rylance with my life even if he was a cannibal <laughs> he said i smelled especially if he's a cannibal i mean he says uh, before we wrap up with one more thing he does um he says he doesn't eat people like when they're alive like he doesn't eat them alive he says that he just kills them. It's kills totally them. fine, then. <laughs> yeah. Totally fine. If, if your significant other, if your significant other asks you to eat them after they die, like you love them, like wouldn't you do it? No. <laughs> no, T Rex. No. Depends on the context. <laughs> I think this. I think I'm this good. movie showed us that there's no way to get closer to somebody than by eating them. Bones and all. Bones and all. Um, but I think uh, that's enough for now. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one, which is T-Rex's film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Why'd you choose this film? So after last year, um, with the shit Quentin pulled with Father Christmas, um, I, I wanted to do something similar to that, where I, I wouldn't pick a bad movie, but I would pick a more obscure movie and have everyone in the group watch it and you know try something new and i was wanted to make it animated uh and honestly if we had done this like earlier or if we had or we had uh picked these films later i might have gone with puss in boots but 
then I realized that no 2022 list ranking movie list would be complete without everything everywhere all at once. Right. I think it just, it's too good. It had too much of an impact on movies this year to not include it in this. And cause like straight up, it is easily my favorite movie of the year. I think um, it's just, it feels like it shouldn't work. Right. Um, just throwing in all these concepts, the multiverse, this woman struggling with her marriage and her life choices uh, with her daughter, her husband, just this huge old plot with like, we got to stop the destruction of the multiverse and you just throw it all together and it shouldn't work. It should not work. But not only does it work, but it's like about as perfect as it could be in my opinion, because just they just the Daniels, they just figured out this way to have all these absurd moments that I love. And it's a legitimately hilarious film, but they also imbue the film with so much emotion, especially in the third act where you get so wrapped up in um, uh, her personal quest to figure out whether the choices she made were the right ones. And I just, I love the characters, obviously got to shout out Waymond, the best character in all of cinema. Uh, and just all of the relationships feel so fleshed out. And I, I could go on. This is everyone saw this movie because everyone knows how good it is. Even my brother saw this movie. I, I dragged him to see it in theaters for a second time. He didn't love it as quite as much as I did, but it, this this was like almost felt like a revelation to me. Just like wow, movies can be this freaking good. I remember watching it, um, and I remember saying, "Wow, I think this is going to be one of those movies that." Not access goalposts, but everyone is going to look back on it. Basically, it's going to signify a, a new wave of what, what I think a lot of movies are going to try to be like everything everywhere at all at once. Like, and then they're going to try and fail or they're going to exceed, succeed and put their own spin on it. But it is such an ambitious task for something like this to get to have been made and done so successfully and done so well. Um, yeah, just to mix in this weird sense of humor with with genuine heart and emotion um, is uh, incredible. Yeah, I can't wait for 2025 when there's like eight really bad imitations of everything everywhere all at once because it's so good and it's like lightning in a bottle. And it really is. Like everyone's going to try and catch the lightning again and they're going to come up with like some drips of water from the rain because it's not going to be even able to capture the magic that this film does it like juggles literally six balls in the air in a perfect order and it really does the unthinkable it really if anyone else did this movie besides the daniels it would have been terrible like it's just a really magical film that i have rewatched a few times which i have not done with that many films this year except for top gun maverick but I think everything ever all at once does something that no other movie can really do. It creates rewatchability. So you see all the world, you can kind of start piecing stuff together. It's a complex film that is still easy for even like casual watchers to pick up the first time. Like no one's really left behind. They don't really throw you off the ride. Everyone is on this journey together. Saw it in the theater. It was a fucking thrill ride. Everybody was losing their mind at every joke, you know, it's magical. I feel like most films can't really capture the zeitgeist of 
you know, Twitter fandom and like casual moviegoers and critics and satisfy everybody. It kind of does the unthinkable. And I agree. This wasn't my pick, but I'm with Trex. This is probably the best film of the year. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it was my, my favorite film of the year for like, I think six or seven months. And then was it Bones, Bones and All uh, came out and then it took the top spot. And then um, I started rewatching uh, other movies that came out that year. And then After Sun just came out of nowhere. Then that one took the spot. Uh, but no, like I, I saw everything everywhere at a, the Lincoln Square a week before it officially came out. Um, what was it? Wide. And obviously when you go to like, if, if you've gone to like a movie, like in a big city, you know, you're going to get like a lot of like big reactions. And this is one of them where like every joke, like when it hits, it like hits. And then everybody just like freaks out. And it's just, I don't know. It was like a very like fun experience. And then once you like go deep into it, it's, there's a lot of like themes about just like Im- uh, being with like an immigrant family. Like, and then just like, because like, I don't know, like I, I, my mom is uh she's an immigrant and she grew up in Africa and then she immigrated here. And there's a lot of like stuff that, uh, uh, that can be relatable to, uh, what was going through, uh, with the daughter and then the daughter being a lesbian and like me, like being like bisexual. And I don't know, like, it's a lot of that stuff just, it, it felt very like real to me. And like, I, I totally understand like what was going on in the movie and like, it really like gave me like a connection um, and then obviously you have like the off color, like humor and just, I don't know, it was, it's, it's a really like touching movie if you really like want to like get to the bottom of it. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to come in with the embarrassing take that I think it's okay and nothing more to be honest. Yeah. I knew I, I just saw everyone's head shake. Great. I, that's what I was waiting for. I did Thank not you, want Sammy. to say anything. <laughs> oh my God, dude, dude am I going to have my back on this? Okay. No, yes, I think. Yes. Oh my God. How let's dare you have a different take, dunk on Sammy. This no, I think it's fun. It's good. I I really don't have any big issues with it. Um, other than it really feels like reductive towards the end. But like, like the problem was like with like conflicts in the multiverse, like just solving it all, it can't really be complex, I guess. So the easiest way out, I feel like this is what this takes is just like okay, love solves it all, and then it starts solving all these conflicts one by one. But I think the actual conflict of the movie, where it's like the mother, like the mother and daughter stuff, it's really good. I don't know. I really liked it. I it just didn't feel very cohesive at the end of the day like I all the bits did work for me but on an emotional level the bits just felt like they were solved pretty easily and I didn't I didn't buy into it but yeah I I mean I'm interested to see what like uh Sush thinks about this more than me to be honest because I haven't watched this in a while it's I watched this once when it came out and that's it yeah yeah I'm definitely on the same page as Sammy like it's a great film um, I love what they do. The performances are fantastic. Michelle Yeoh and Ken He Kwan or Ke He Kwan, he they're both fantastic. Um, you don't really get better performances these days. Uh, so I'll give the film that for sure. But I agree with you, Sammy. Like I think when we start getting into the multiverse uh, aspect of it and we're really bouncing around different timelines and different experiences, I feel like it's a bit gratuitous in that. We're just like, hey, look, it's the multiverse. We're, we're just want to do all this like crazy fun stuff. But to me, it's not 100% earned at that point. Whereas I do think that the relationship between the mother and daughter and then um, obviously the relationship between Michelle and Kay, like those are the strongest parts of the film. And so the bouncing around for me was a bit, 
a bit wonky and it, it lot loses me at that point. I kind of zone out and tune out a little bit. Um, but then coming back at the end, the end is really great. Uh, the connections finally and and just like everybody kind of coming to terms with everything. Um, I thought really worked. But yeah, there's a bit um, where they're going through the multiverse that just, yeah, didn't click for me 100%. So over the last few months, as I've watched more 2022 releases, I've um, slowly shuffled it out of my top 10. So I think it sits at 11 right now. So it's not even in my top 10 for the year, which I think is yeah definitely a hot take, as most people have it in their top three, if not their first of the year. So um, again, all praise to the film. I I'm applaud what they achieved uh, on an independent level to tell a story of that scale uh, and do it better than, you know, Multiverse of Madness, which is the Marvel equivalent that came out this year. So I will say it is better than that film um, by a long shot. Um, yeah, a huge long shot. No offense, Sam Raimi. I do like what you tried to do, but it was uh, a mess of a film. Um, but yeah, that being said, I think it's fantastic. I do think it, it deserves the acting praise that it's receiving and uh, some of the other aspects to it for sure. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing. Just didn't click like it did for everyone else. Yeah, and also, I, mean, uh, I will say this. Okay, yeah, sorry, sorry, Michael. But if it does win Best Picture or anything, I won't be mad. Like, I can't be mad. Like, it won, like, everyone loved it. And it felt, this this as a story feels much more purposeful as as like an awards contender then honestly a lot of the other movies that come out like it i'd rather give this the award than a bunch of other movies yeah i totally agree i think it I, if anything it does deserve it just for what it kind of you know strive to achieve and the platform that it's giving uh for actors like michelle and kay i think mm -hmm. that that's fantastic so seeing like both of them get praise and receive awards for their performances is fantastic. And I think all it does is open the door to other really awesome independent films and just more diversity in the performances and actors. And I think that that's just a positive. So I really appreciate that about the film. I mean, what I was going to say was, Sush, don't feel too bad about like not loving a film. The film I chose is in my top 25. It's not even my top 10. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I disagree with you, but it's not like, like there's, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> it's like a kind of thing where it's like, I can see it's more like, I can see where you're coming from. I think it is, I think it works to, it comes together. I was totally, um, in with the maximal like the maximalist or whatever it's called i was totally in on the over the top not the over the top it's just the everything that was coming at you because well the concept is kind of like this crazy thing where everything would be coming at you because it's the multiverse imagine being this uh like her living a borderline nothing life where it's just laundry and taxes that's but laundry and taxes having a failing laundry service and then being being told that you've been chosen to save the whole entire multiverse and it would be crazy would be a whole lot coming at you and i think maybe you're right maybe it's not as cohesive maybe i'm blind to it but i think it works well because the heart that's bringing it together the emotional core of the film is covering i don't want to say covering that up but i think makes up for it and helps bring it together and i think 
I just can't help but be wrapped up in what the film makes me feel. I know I I, I can't uh, like this ethos. Is it ethos? Is it pathos? I can't remember. I think pathos is emotion, right? Yes, I think so. And okay, the pathos that this film has, I think, I think is strong enough to make me uh, not maybe not notice that as well, or, or make it feel justified in a way for the film to come together in such a beautiful, hard-hitting, hilarious. There are still funny moments in that, um, in in that way. Me personally, anyway. I mean, I don't disagree at all. Like, I think that. It does have that, especially with the relationships. Um, I think that that's the strongest part of the film. And when that is really going, you really feel it. Like the the pebble scene, for example, when we were talk about favorite scenes, like that's one that really stands out to me because it calms things down and you just have that serenity, but it's still such an impactful moment between the mother and the daughter. Um, and there's a lot of that throughout the film, like you, you mentioned, you know, tax and laundry like that. There's a lot that just that that cohesiveness of the family, but the incohesiveness because it's being fractured, um, it really makes it beautiful in a sense. And I that's definitely the strongest part of the film and what I really love. But yeah, I think for me, the reason why I don't say it's a masterpiece, like a masterpiece, and I just say it's a great film, is just that the jumping around and like the raccoon stuff. And like, for me, it was a bit too much. I love raccoon It's a hilarious joke in its own. It's fantastic. In the context of the film, it's like, where are we going with this? Like, this is so weird. And it just, I kind of zone out and tune out a little bit at that point. But then when it comes back to the family, I'm like, okay, okay, here I am. Yeah, I know what we're watching. So it's like, it's a fantastic film. But yeah, for me, it's just like those little bits take me out from being like, oh yeah, I love it. It's my top three to it. Yeah, it's in my top 15. It's a great movie. I'll watch it again. I, I can definitely see the whole point about the lack of cohesion, especially in the third act. I just, it never really bothered me because I just think that I was so engaged with every little thing going on. I was engaged with what was going on in the real world, what was going on with like the world where they were able to have the party that night, the world where with Rakakuni, the world with, um, with uh, where she's the like pebbles. a movie star and she's hanging with him in the alleyway um or even when she's just talking with her daughter in front of the giant bagel this is a just listing all of those off just makes me love the movie even more because it's just the film was juggling all these things and i was engaged with all of them and i think that the film gives each of these sort of things even though they're all going on at once the film gives them all just the right amount of time where we focus enough on this thing and then for the more like gag stuff we don't spend as much time and I'm sure if you dug deeper into stuff like that, there is a deeper meaning to Rekakuni or something like that. Or maybe it is just a dumb gag. Either way, I thought it worked. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I, I've watched it twice. And just both times when I kind of get to that, you know, towards the end of Act 2 and the beginning of Act 3, it just, I tune out for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. It's just happened both times that I've watched the film. So I, I can't, like, leave it saying, yeah, that was a masterpiece if I don't, like, kind of feel it in that moment despite me liking most of the film and thinking that there's a lot of fantastic stuff in it it's just yeah there's some of it just didn't feel earned but the relationship stuff is definitely really well done and yeah I yeah like I said the pebble scene is just fantastic yeah yeah um I was gonna say the same thing well with just the third act like 
there's a moment where it starts to like be like everything and just a lot of stuff is happening but then once i think the i think it was either the parking lot scene or the rocks scene that's where the film kind of like stops and then it finally has like a very like emotional moment and then you suddenly like feel like all like the weight and like emotions that have been going on for the past couple uh scenes and i don't know it just comes together after that yeah um, i think that's why opinion. i like it yeah, I agree. I think that's kind of what brings me back into the film is that scene. And then it's like, okay, yeah, here we are. Like, I know what we're watching here. And then that as it coming together, I mean, it makes sense. It's like the multiverse is kind of unraveling. So obviously everything would be going to like shit and like all these different like storylines and things would be going off the wall and going crazy. So it makes sense in the context. It's just for me in the moment when I'm watching it, I just like for whatever reason, like I, I didn't connect 100%. And so, yeah, that's I just got to you know, be honest about how, about it, but it's it's a beautiful film. I'll give it that. I will say this though, like um um, so I was watching like David Ehrlich's edit of his like top twenty movies. You know, I think it was like top ten movies of the year, and his edit for everything everywhere all at once made me want to watch it again, and I almost teared up. So maybe there is something to it that I'm not seeing, or maybe just the main conflict is good enough for me to not care about everything else not clicking, which is fair. I think to Sush already mentioned it, but. I think the reason why, maybe it's a second or third act, but I think the reason why like everything is kind of coming down is because really, maybe I'm referring to it, just say like, nope, that's not the wrong part. I think the part to me in my mind, what you're talking about is maybe the beginning of the second act or something where Michelle is going through the multiverses and she doesn't know what's going on. Like she's trying to figure out what's going on after she dies. Um, I think that's just because everything she's, did the thing that happened to Jobo Tabaki um, uh, happen to her and she's experiencing it at the same time. And she's trying to figure it out. And Jobu, Jobu is basically like pushing her through, forcing her through all these different dimensions. And of course it's going to not feel as Galusa because it's just her mind is so fractured at this point. But I think, I think you're already pointed that. Is that the point you're talking about, Sush, or is it a different point? Yeah, it's kind of that. I mean, that kind of kicks it off. I, I mean, I still follow that a little bit, but then, yeah, I don't know if there's a specific point exactly where I'm just like, whoa, I just like caught myself both times that I watched it where I was like, hmm, yeah, that happened. I think maybe it's, for me, it's when they get to that, I don't want to call it a terrace, but they're in the IRS building and they get to like the staircase and there's like the water and the, the plants. That's the only way I can describe it. But that whole like sequence in there, like leading into the third act and then most of the third act kind of takes place there. That's where I'm just like, holy crap, this is insane. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it's because like with, I, I don't know what, what it is. I just didn't, I didn't connect with it. I can't put my finger on it quite but I think it's because of that jumping around bit that I just tune out a little bit and then it brings it back. But yeah, it's just enough for me to be like, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not my favorite film of the year, but it is still fantastic. All right. I think it's time to wrap up. Sadly, I think we could talk about even more, but um, my, my personal favorite scene, which I think is going to be a lot of people's favorite scene is the, in another life, I would have loved to do laundry and taxes with you slash the please be kind monologue. Uh, I think that's the one that really, uh, when you when you first watch it, it's like, oh, that's what this, not this, that's what this kind of movie is. But it's like, oh, oh, I'm feeling things. Oh, and then it just, it just 
messes with your heartstrings and pulls it, tears your heart in two and makes you feel things for the rest of the time. So that's probably my favorite scene from the film. But I can mention a couple other more films, uh, scenes. For I'd say I'd have, I have two different favorite scenes. One way more I love than the other, but one scene that I wanted to bring up was just, it's absurd, but it's the scene where she's fighting the two guys and they're trying to activate their powers and she, there's like the weirdly shaped board on the desk and he's trying to, you know, and just that one scene where he just leaps into the air to land on it. I I know it's goofy, it's silly, but to me, that's when the movie just clicked for me, just in terms of its humor. It just like blew my mind just how absurd things were getting. Uh, I don't know it really got more absurd from there. Uh, and that and at that point, I was just fully on board. But obviously, yes, the, the actual best moment of the film is the in another life part with the whole kindness monologue. And I think it's just it rings so true. Like, I remember I saw there's that one tweet going around. It's like, uh, do they not realize how much of a cultural shift they did with just that one line? Because it just, it hits so hard. And if you were to tell me that, that, that the, if you were to tell me that quote out of context, uh, I just feel like that's a weird line. I don't know why I, I didn't, I wouldn't think that it would get me to like cry in the theater, but because of everything leading up to that moment where um, all the other ones go through the whole movie, she's been regretting her life choices, but then it's done like in this moment where even this alternate version of Waymond is telling her, I want to be with you. And then she's like simultaneously seeing every other version of herself. And she's realizing that he's not, that he's telling the truth, that her life truly is happier. Just not being this extraordinary person, but just being happy with her family. And that she's kind of, uh, she's kind of wasted it a bit, but this is the point where she decides to finally just, use kindness and try her best to patch things up yeah easily the best scene in the movie it's just it's stuck in my head ever since i saw it oh i'm I'm gonna go with the obvious one the rock scene where the film just like goes into a screeching halt and some just some multiverse of just uh two people being a rock and it's the whole idea of just being still and just um just the whole idea of just like taking in everything that um was that's going on with life like life's like chaotic and all that and it's, it's just a moment where you're just like okay well you can just be a rock and just chill and not like forget about well think about like everything that's like poisoning your your mind and just kind of like making you anxious and like i needed that also as well because i'm a very anxious person so just watching that and just seeing like that play out, I was just like, okay, that's a good, like really good, like affirmation, like scene. Um, just be a rock. The same, that would be, I think, well, honestly, all the scenes that I would, would have mentioned have been mentioned, but I also like the butt plugs in the action scenes. So one of my favorites too. Um, I'm thinking of getting the, the butt plug on uh, a24.com. I can't believe you actually hey, yo. mentioned <laughs> that. Nice. Employee of the month. I, I didn't know I'll, that I'll was put, a I'll, thing. I... No, I'll put it on. I'll put it in my office just to be really funny. The kids are gonna love it. Uh, the kids don't uh visit my office. Thank God. But yeah, um, did did also eight twenty four have like the hot dog uh hot dog like gloves on their website? I thought it was pretty cool. Too. I think I, I think so. Yeah, 
I know they have could... the the little Marcel Michelle figurine. Nice. Is it, is it like about the hot dog fingers? Um. Uh, yeah. Well, I think someone mentioned the pebble scenes. Yeah, the rocks. That's definitely got to be like top scene for me because it really kind of it calms everything down for a moment. You just like breathe. But I think it's a very endearing and intimate moment uh, between the mother and daughter. So I think it works on multiple levels. And I also just really enjoyed the opening scene or the when they're kind of talking Kay and Michelle are talking back and forth about uh, oh they got to pay their bills they're figuring out their taxes and he's trying to find a moment to kind of whether present his divorce papers or not you know it's it's like it's really weird but it, I think it establishes things really well because then they have to run off and take care of the laundromat and then oh my father's here we got to worry about my father and then her daughter's les like girlfriend shows up <laughs> it's like everything starts kind of unraveling there at that point um so i think it was really good way to introduce all the characters and the different conflicts that you're going to see throughout the film um and it, i think it shows off the acting abilities in like five minutes really well uh, in the first five minutes of the film um yeah those are fun and then the action sequences are top-notch like when k beats up all the the security guards with his uh his uh purse for lack of a better term and he just like beats people his fanny pack sorry uh, but he just beats people up um that's really cool and, and really fun and another thing that i love is like when james hong rolls up in his wheelchair and he starts telling them that we gotta kill you because this is just isn't working like we needed a different timeline yeah <laughs> that's that's hilarious no it's also funny because it does the was the Stephen chow like fast uh editing where um uh was it the old man just like speeds up on, on the wheel the wheelchair yeah he just because pulls up behind them yeah, if you've seen like Kung Fu Hustle or like Shaolin Soccer, like you'll know <laughs> yeah. those kind of like references. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect in that regard. I, I really love that. Such a funny moment. He's great. He's like what 92 or something. Like he was he was hilarious in the few lines that of dialogue that he had. I think I think James Hong is such a, a treasure. Like uh he's always voice acting stuff. He's generally great in everything he's in. Um, I love him, and I think my favorite role he still is is Kung Fu Panda, like Kung Fu Panda stuff. I love him in Kung Fu, the Kung Fu Panda trilogy. Um, I always love him in his work, and he's especially good here. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Quentin, what was your favorite scene before we move on to the next? They've all been said. The happiness monologue, and then I thought I was gonna sneak in my second favorite, but Sush just snagged it. Kiyohi Kwan just destroying all the security guards was my second favorite so you know Quan was my top two scenes i love that guy if he wins the oscar that's all i care about he's that's my that's my boy i love that guy so oh yeah, yeah he's incredible so it's gonna happen yeah hell yeah it is fucking yeah. deserved before we go i just want to say that like i really appreciate that this film thought of him and also using michelle yo but key being in this film like i'm a huge indiana jones fan growing up you know, short round was a big part of my childhood. Um, I'm obviously younger than those movies, but uh, still like his character was always so cool to me. Same thing with Data from uh, The Goonies, but watching Indiana Jones as a kid and then you see this like young kid be like Indy's sidekick and be really cool and funny. And like, you know, he can handle his own 
it's just sweet to see him, you know, 39 years later or something, finally get his due and be recognized for his abilities because I thought he stole the the scene every time he was in front of the camera uh, in both those movies back then. So it's great to see him now. All righty, that's awesome. Now let's move on to Sammy's pick, which is The Fablemans. Sammy, why did you choose The Fablemans? Um, honestly, I thought it would be a really good discussion for the most part. This is like, I think my favorite movie or where after sense been teetering between both of them. Cause I think both of them kind of nuked me this like last year. Just didn't expect it, especially for this movie. Like I like to relate with Spielberg's life. Like I'm not a movie maker or anything, but I don't know the way he goes about it is really weird, honestly, because he's, he's selling this much in a way like PTA did in Licorice Pizza, where it's very like episodic, very like vignette A lot of the scenes don't, you know, they, they don't like build upon each other. They're more, they're just there for like to get his point across on his worldview on some way. And, but then like, it ends up being like this really like good time. Like a lot of uh, funny jokes here and there, like, like Jesus girl and her shrine to Jesus. That whole like bit ends up being like one of, I think one of the funnier bits and one of like the saddest movies of the year. But yeah, um, I, I really did like what Spielberg was doing here. Um, he's just putting his life down on the line, I think, in a way. I, I think that's also because like Tony Kushner maybe probably opened him up to a lot of the stuff he didn't expect because the hallway scene or the hallway scene where the bully comes to fight him after, after he shows this movie to like the school and he's like glorifying the bully on screen, like showing him as a god. And then we just see like scenes of him where he like the bully itself is just watching himself on screen being like this person he'll never achieve, even though he's trying to be the best he can. And he just breaks down. I think that's really interesting. I think like whole Spielberg's like career perspective, because he um, I haven't seen a lot of his movies, for, but for the, almost everything I have seen, he's he, he's he's very much like a blockbuster filmmaker. Right? He's making movies that have scenes that will probably cheer you up even if they are scary like Jurassic Park at the end of the day it's meant to be entertainment spectacle and I feel like this is where he's wrestling with the idea of why he came into just making movies for a spectacle instead of trying to like you know break you or trying to be provocative and I found it I found that really interesting I think I took a lot away from it also because the main character's name is Sammy you know great coincidence did like it Great scene. There's one quote, especially towards the end, I think that just broke me because that my name was Sammy. And I was like, I think it's just, oh, honestly, let me pull it up. It's just like, um, it was Michelle Williams just telling Sammy, you do what you want to do because you, you, don't know, you, you don't know anyone in your life. And I don't know. Honestly, I needed to hear that at the time. So great. But yeah, I want to hear other people's thoughts on this more than mine because I could talk about this week for a long time. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Sammy. I think both of us love this movie. Uh, a lot and it's cool that you're able to connect with it with your name and everything i think that that's great pretty significant like it definitely takes it to another level for you for sure um like as i said i'm a big indiana jones fan so obviously i'm a big steven spielberg fan i've always loved his movies i've seen most of his movies um there's a handful of big ones that i haven't but for the most part i've been following him most of my life and yeah, I've, I've always really liked him and I've read up about him, like about his, how he became a filmmaker a little bit, like his interaction with John Ford. I've, I've heard that story like a decade ago and then seeing it in the film, uh, re- recreated in the film was fantastic. Um, so I really loved just seeing like one of my favorite filmmakers and what, what made him become a filmmaker and how he kind of has those different mindsets like especially the 
kind of technical mindset versus the very creative mindset because you see that kind of battling each other a little bit in his films um, and didn't then throw different eras of his career. Um, so seeing where that comes from with his parents and like why uh, he got to that point um, was really cool. And I think impactful for me as well, just to see that, yeah, just about, you know, anybody can become a filmmaker if you have the right support and the right passion and drive. If you just push yourself, you can eventually get to that point. Um, you know, push past the, the hard times and the difficult times. And, he, you know, he obviously encounters a moment where he hangs up the camera, but is brought back to it and finds that passion again. And I thought that was just really cool. And I think it's as someone who comes from like, my parents aren't divorced or anything, but they've definitely had a rocky like relationship. It was, I was able to kind of connect with that bit. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of it that's pretty nice uh, coming from a Spielberg fan. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think uh, was it the first 30, 30 minutes of this movie, I kind of checked out a little bit because you're following the kid. Um, and I don't know, it was it just kind of felt a little bit kind of like stagnant. Um, but then once uh, was it Sammy grows up and he starts to realize that he actually loves uh making movies and shooting uh, the family around. And then it just, it just turns into like a really like vignette kind of like, uh, was it coming of age story? Um, and I think the idea of just, uh, was it filming your parents and then realizing that there's something wrong with them. Um, and then just looking through the frames of it is a very like touching and very like emotional, like core of the movie especially the scene where he's in the editing um, thing and he sees that his, uh, his, his mother is uh, being very affectionate to his, his uncle. And it's like a whole kind of like, Oh shit. Like my, my mom's cheating on, on, uh, on somebody. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And then the way it just goes back to the idea of just like movies touching um, people's lives and um, making them either better or worse um, as, as themselves is uh, very interesting. And I loved uh, was the, the third act where it just follows Sammy um, in high school and he's, he's being bullied because he's Jewish. And I, I've been through all that. And also just the idea of um, uh, was it just like fixating on like one thing instead of actually like, was it following just like a day-to-day -day life, just fixating on just like watching movies and just studying in them and, and I don't know, like it, re it really touched me. And then the ending with uh, uh, John Ford was probably like the best scene in the entire movie. And it just really like hits home uh, the, the whole like theme of the movie. When I was a kid, uh, I read a, a book about Steven Spielberg's life. Um, and one bit that always stood out to me uh, weirdly was um, Apparently, I don't know how much of this is true because anything I say from now on, I'm pretty sure it's true, but I'm not 100% sure it's true. So I don't want to get in trouble for slander. I'm not trying to slander, but like in the book, it said that for a while, Steven Spielberg did not talk to his father because he hadn't forgiven him for leaving his mother. And in the film, it kind of plays out differently where, I mean, at the end of the film, he's actually living with him. And but he actually figures out early on why his why he left his mother's because he was cheating on 
she was in love with another man, Seth, Seth Rogen. Um, but to me, um, and because I actually looked up a lot of the facts afterwards, and the movie did seem like pretty accurate to his life. And I just kind of thought that this was his, this was Spielberg's way of reconciling with what he, the image of his father in the movie and the way he, that he's retelling his life. He's kind of framing things as he wished it would have gone down. Um, I could be wrong about that, but no, I, that just I really. Think you're right. I think you're Sweet. right. Honestly, it, it, I don't, not to cut you off or anything, but yeah, I think it's definitely him kind of fantasizing a little bit and that's the thing like Spielberg always makes these like fantastical films in a way where they just have that movie magic and that's just what he did with his life is like gave it that movie magic spin instead of being a strict autobiography it's a semi-autobiographical film and it's a bit fictional and probably what he hoped would have happened you know 50 years later once now realizing right um no, I agree. Like he he really did imbue his own life story. He made his life story the way he would make one of his movies. And in that sense, it's just this really personal experience for him. And just how the film focuses so much on his love for filmmaking, you know? Um, I was able to really connect with just how in-depth he went with like the process and how invested he became and like all the little things. Like you wouldn't think that like, editing would be all that fun but and i don't know if he truly thinks it's like a blast but you can tell he's really into it how even when it's not something that's the most exciting just being able to work on something you love can just push you to be your best self and how he's able to use his movies to express feelings that words can't right like how i love the scene where he reveals to his mom why he's so upset with him by showing her the film he made and i just think like that was really powerful because he's able to use something that he made to get across what he's feeling and uh i know that sounds kind of weird but you know it's just and just the way he's able to use film to both um connect with reality but also to escape reality because of just everything going on with his parents yeah the filmmans is probably the most expensive therapy session ever i think <laughs> you know it's kind of him coping with uh you know uh, stuff that he uh you know had growing up and you know I, i'm kind of jealous that sammy had the same name as the protagonist i wish his name was quinton that would have been pretty cool but <laughs> alas that's not the case and i think the fail mids is pretty great i think i have it in the same spot sush has everything everywhere i have it at number 11 barely didn't make my top 10 but it's just a really great film uh, that ends strong. I think the best part about this movie is the last 20 minutes. I think everyone can agree, maybe. But I think the fact that it ends so strong, uh, you kind of leave the movie like fist pumping, like, fuck yeah, like cinema is made, babies. Walking down the road, the camera shifts, like, come on. I was like ready to make a movie right there and then. Like, you just get so excited when he's like ready to go. You're like, yeah we're making movies now let's let's do this so i think the movie ends on a really good high and yeah i i think paul dano is the best part of the film I, I think it's a great cast you know it's really interesting to see his parents depicted this way um i kind of walked in thought it was going to be like a nice love letter to movies and his family and it was kind of like 
look at how fucked up my life was a little bit when I was young. You know, it was, it was way more personal than I thought it was going to be. I kind of just thought it was going to be Spielberg flexing how great his life was. Like, yeah, I'm Spielberg. Look at how great my life is. I'm going to be making Jaws in two years. Like, I didn't think it was going to be, you know, this reflective. I thought he kind of already moved on from this, but clearly he's still kind of reflecting on moments in his life that still kind of have an impact on Honestly, that was like the most interesting part for me too. Like I did not expect this at all. Like to end before he starts making any of the movies that, you know, we know him as like famous for. I think that's such a bold choice. Honestly, that's one of the, I think the main reasons it just stuck out for me, I guess, like when it started. Because it doesn't really go into like his process of movie making except for, I think like the war picture he makes, which again, I think out of like, like and almost like uh, there's one scene where he's just cutting holes into film strips to like simulate gunshots. And then like everyone in the crowd is just like, just like mouths open, just gasping. And honestly, I had the same reaction. I did not, for some reason that just blew my mind. I think more than any other action scene last year, that was like the coolest thing I ever saw, which is weird. I think Spielberg is such a dork and you know, he gets it across in a fun way or in a way that he can make everyone find it kind of cool. But I, I think the most interesting thing is I've heard he like waited until his parents died to make this one because it puts them on full blast. Like, I don't, even though it is fantastical, like, I do not think there is, he does not hold anything back. If anything, he he just shows, like, he shows all the all the worst parts of them and, like, shows why he also cares for them. Especially for the mom, because, like, I think he really empathizes with her, like, her inability to, like, really create art in this kind of, like, family dynamic more than anything else. Like, even though she cheats on the husband, and like ends up leaving the whole family. I think he's still really, he's not really like broken by her going, I think, more than anything else, because he's also, he's like, his mind is very art minded. And he kind of just relates with that more than anything else. And I feel like it puts Paul Dano on more blast here than anything else, for like kind of for making him go to college when he is having a panic attack at the end. He's just like, oh my God, is my life just gonna be more of this? I feel like that's the part where um, I think I kind of relate to and just kind of like having, just being kind of like split between two different things, which is I am like, it's the kind of the spot I am in right now. So yeah, I just kind of connected with it a lot. Um, it's just kind of, it's kind of just putting two of my minds on two different characters and seeing how that works. So yeah, had a good time, had a, you know, had a pretty sad time, but that's okay. I think um, it's, yeah, it was a lot darker than I expected. I expected this whimsical, like, you know, the usual Shakespeare, not Shakespeare, uh, Spielberg magic. And I got this really depressing tale and how, uh, not only how divorce affects families, um, but just how Spielberg copes with all this hardship in the world. And then that's through movie magic. It wasn't like my top 20, it was in my top 15, I think for a little bit. I thought it was, as soon as I walked out of it, I'm like, oh, that was better than Avatar. And then I thought more about it and then, uh, for me personally, I didn't. Well, I don't love it as much as other people. It just kind of left me. I know maybe feeling empty was what Spielberg was going for, um, but um, it didn't leave me much to to think about. And I think, as much as I think Spielberg trying to say, uh, I use the um, the smalts like the usual Spielbergian smalts to cover up to cope with what's going on in my life. And I want you guys to feel the same way and how empty that is. It just doesn't work as well for me. But I think uh, I think it, the way Spielberg ap approaches 
I can't, I don't want to say subject matter, but the way he approaches his own life is very admirable, is probably the most bold you could do with it. Even like argue more bold than how uh, Inaritu approaches his own life. He, he just puts it all out for us to, not for us to judge, but he just puts it all out there and like admits like, yeah, I do kind of, kind of, uh, kind of like stow myself away in my art. And I, I know that it's wrong to do, but it's the only way I can really uh, uh, try to figure myself out or figure basically how I can try to struggle with these issues or, get, or cope with them. And that's no more apparent than in the big scene, uh, the big scene where Sammy is watching basically the divorce go down, where they're where both Paul Dano and Michelle Williams are telling that they're going to have to split. The family has to split and uh, Michelle Williams' character is going to have to live with uh, Benny now. And basically Sammy's just watching it like he was filming it, like he's disasso disassociating. He's watching like he's filming it, which is so sad. And the way he's he's just looking at it, like I could just this is this could be a movie, which is the probably one of the most tragic scenes in the whole entire film. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I would agree. It's 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 cool to see it through his eyes and and the way that he kind of made heads or tails of what was going on and how that kind of progressed over the years, and especially once he kind of he realizes um, that his mother loves another man. Like at that point, it's like, yeah, he, he starts to see the world in a much different way. And a lot of the film is about how he copes with that specifically. And I think that seeing it through his eyes and like you said, how he disassociates at the, in that one scene, um, I thought that was really cool and profound and very self-aware from Steven Spielberg to put that out there. And he does it in such a digestible way too, like, a lot of like most of you said at one point that you connected with the film for one reason or another and it's just he makes his film so approachable in that regard that everyone has can see themselves in some facet of it I think that that's pretty cool whereas like I haven't seen Bardo but I, I based on what you folks are saying it seems like there's a lot of things that are implied but also that are hidden within meaning you have to really like kind of extrapolate from the imagery that you're seeing. Um, so it's it's a different filmmaker telling a story about their lives and being kind of, you know, auto semi-autobiographical, I guess. Um, so it was interesting how those two films kind of came out and they're both similar in a way. Um, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I absolutely love this, the film, especially that the sequence where he's like, yeah, where he's making his war film like I thought that was really cool and how they basically did a shot for shot remake like that was I was listening and yeah it's basically a shot for shot remake from the actual film that he made back in the day so I thought that was really cool yeah um sorry just to add but um I think it's it was kind of like a kind of like a pattern last year of just filmmakers filmmaking filmmakers making movies about themselves and um growing up in their experiences that and um armageddon time is another one uh where it's about like covid will do that yeah yeah i think i think that's um the phenomenon uh past uh covid is you're gonna see a lot of filmmakers make movies about themselves and it's gonna be like different takes on themselves on themselves uh so much like self-reflection right it's just like people 
had like three years to really, I don't know, analyze their lives. And so like Spielberg said, right? yeah. yeah, exactly. And like Spielberg said too, like, this is like finally the time, like there's nothing else going on. So it's like, okay, let's actually write this story because I don't know, we have the time to actually think about it. And so, yeah, I think that I agree, Jack. I think we'll see a lot more of that stuff. Maybe in the next few years, it'll be a trend or something. I mean, hopefully, I feel like it's been rejected pretty big part from like audiences. So I feel like no one's really cared about you know either this this Bardo or Armageddon time, which it honestly is fair because it's asking a lot to you know watch someone's life put on display and you're like asked to get something out of it. I don't know, it kind of feels a little egocentric, maybe. I mean, really doesn't play it out that way. Bardo kind of does, but this doesn't. Yeah, kind of like, you know. I mean, even you can Armageddon also kind of... time, I would say, what well, does? Yeah, play out kind that of. Way. Kind of, but I think you could also say about Babylon, but that's more about the industry itself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even looking back, not just this year, but the previous year, Belfast came out with Kenneth Branagh looking back at his life. I think every film about filmmaking and self-reflection is better than Belfast. Uh, I think Belfast was cute, uh, but like, I think these are all better, but like, not as like a bit more focused than what Brana tried to do with Belfast. Um, but it is interesting that a lot of these films came out this year. Um, I feel like there was one more other than Babylon, uh, Bardo, uh, Fablemans, and um, what was it? Uh, so there was some, there was two other- Armageddon Time. Armageddon Time. Was there another one other than that? Or yeah, I, I, all the- uh, I would also like include After Sun in that because that's Charlie Wells like, just depicting her childhood, which is mm-hmm. that's oh, true. Okay. You can also yeah. say you can also say was it nope a little bit. It's kind of like that. It's more I would say nope's more in the category of Babylon. Like Babylon is still self-reflective, but it's more about the industry and um just a critique on that. Um uh, but anyway, we're not we're uh the um I think another thing I really like about Fablements uh can't remember who I mentioned it. I think probably Sush, but when uh, uh, Sammy is basically showing his mom the divorce, it's basically saying how a lot of artists express themselves. He can't really express himself with words as well. But for me personally, I connect with that. Like I can't, I don't feel like I can express myself with words because I get really anxious. So I use other things to express myself. And um, I think that was really both, again, sad and heartbreaking but also kind of like amazing to see but one positive thing i want to see is when sammy Woman makes his first movie with the train and recreates the scene from the greatest show on earth like that was really i love that i love that was that. so cool i i agree i love that scene i think it's so magical and just the bonding with the mom and how they're both working at it and both re- remaking it like that was super cool. I think I made a comment in like our group chat too, how like a, a week after I'd watched the Fablemans, I watched Avatar 2. And within the first like half an hour, there's a big train like action sequence similar to that. And I was like, hey, that's funny. Like, look at these like cl- filmmakers, like just all utilizing these train sequences in their movies. Like I thought it was interesting to see that come up uh, in a James Cameron film too, because who else would make that? None other than James Cameron. I guess they don't like Thomas the Tank Engine. They're all diesels. Um, yeah, White uh, Boys also had a train sequence. Right, it does. Do they just hate trains? What the heck? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah. Um, but it's time to wrap up, sadly. Um, what was your guys' favorite scene? So, Sammy, what was your favorite scene? You may have already mentioned. Yeah, it's been like stated through like discussion, but yeah, the the one where he's looking through the mirror and like filming the divorce, that's one. And then honestly, a lot of them are, I think the last scene has stuck with me the most, or it leaves me on such a high after like that experience. So. Yeah, I was going to call, oh no, I was going to call dibs on the, the final scene, but I mean, that's uh, everybody's, damn. Actually, wait, no. maybe, wait, uh, wait, wait, Jack, Jack, Did, uh, on, the, on the final shot, do you think the like the horizons in the center or is it at the top i think it's at the top i think it's at the center okay we we can get into this later it's way too late but yeah Fine. okay that's yeah, way too dang it this has been a great discussion um sorry sorry um no like obviously the final scene is like the best scene because it actually happened in real life um but um i think also this the scene where um He's filming the the war uh, picture with his friends, and he's kind of like trying to direct uh, one of the guys. And he does like a really like good job of like explaining like what the character's feeling and all that. And then the guy takes all the information in, and he does he does like the best like acting that he can ever do like in that moment. And it's just like okay, that's the power of Spielberg. Yes, sir. Um, I'm gonna again. I'm gonna echo final scene. Um, uh, I don't want to say anything else because uh, because somebody might else want to say it. Um, I don't want to be that guy. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, yeah, those two scenes for sure: the war picture and um, the ending. I love the ending a whole lot. Also, David Lynch probably gives my favorite performance in the whole entire film. Granted, David Lynch is being kind of David Lynch, but um, he's both funny and also profound. David Lynch is a perfect casting for that because he's very much like John Ford. If you know anything about John Ford, they're both similar in their approach to filmmaking and no holds bars, no bullshit. Um, my favorite scene, uh, there's a couple, but one of my favorite scenes is with the uncle in the bedroom. And he's talking about how they're the same. They're similar. They're the same type of people. And he's like trying, he's like, are you a filmmaker? Like, what is this? And he's like trying to like basically convey to Sammy that he needs to make that decision and run with it. Um, I really like that. And I think it's also just the performance. I forget the actor's name, but he's just pretty electric in that, in that scene. Finish. Yeah, he was really good. Um, and then I, I did like uh, the scene with Seth Rogen at, towards the end. Um, when they meet in the camera shop and just that exchange that they have on the street. I thought that that was a good um, moment between Seth Rogen and Sammy. And I think it was really necessary um, for the film, especially with that relationship. And I think it's Spielberg trying to, like we've mentioned, reconcile with that part and not necessarily hate his uncle Benny because I'm sure he had some pretty strong emotions towards him uh, for everything that took place. But his that moment and just depicting it in the film, I think, is pretty profound uh, as a, someone looking back on their life and trying to come to terms with that relationship with someone that was super important to him. And then obviously there was a huge dynamic change once the relationships changed um, and just him trying to reconcile with that, uh, I thought was really good. I was really hoping to be the one unique guy who said, man, the ending was the best part of the film, but I guess uh, that didn't really pan out. Um, 
I also didn't realize that that was David Lynch um, in that scene. I knew I knew he had a cameo, but I didn't realize that was it. Um, so if I, I guess I got to choose a new favorite scene, and I would say I'd have to give that to um, the scene towards the end uh, where he's reconciling with the bully character. Um, I just I'm, I'm just a sucker for scenes where enemies become friends, kind of. Uh, how they're both sorting through their lives and how they feel and like where they are in that moment on their journeys. Uh, it's just really emotional how they both come to understand each other and also how he sucker punches the really bad bully was also really cool. It's simple. Uh, I definitely felt kind of Spielberg-esque in that way, but I, I really liked it. It was short and sweet. Uh, yeah, it's my new favorite part because my other favorite part was stolen. And then my other favorite part was stolen with the war scene. So thanks, guys. My favorite part was when his mom left Paul Dano for Seth fucking Rogan. That was my favorite part. <laughs> wow. Wait, why? Because <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. I don't want to <laughs> laugh at it because it's like it really happened. But right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's not really hilarious. But yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. The casting is just kind of just because it's Seth Rogen. Yeah, it's so funny. It makes it a little bit like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, obviously, my favorite scene is the last 20 minutes, like everyone else. Like, that's obviously the best scene. But yeah, I, I do think casting Seth Rogen was iconic on Spielberg's end. Like, perfect casting for the person she leaves him with. I don't know why. Maybe um, he's like, he went up to Seth Rogen and he was like, if I want my mom to cheat on anyone with, I want it to be you, Seth. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I think another scene I want to shout out and then I think we'll move on was when uh, Paul Dano, Bert, finally, I, that name came to me, uh, when Bert sees like the the sadness on Bert's face when he sees the picture of uh, Benny and Mitzi, like he's like, oh, Oh, this is when it started. Oh, that's happiness. Picture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Oh, it's happiness. I, I thought it was. It looked, it looked like no, sadness. no. It is sadness, but I think like he's realizing like that is happiness. Like she's she's happy. Yeah, that's a life you'll never have just because yeah. you can relate. Right. Yeah. Uh, great scene. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tragic. Yeah, I I think Paul Dano is uh, probably my second. He's so good. Anyway, on to Sushi's pick which is the Northman. Um, why did you choose the Northman, Sush? Because it's awesome. Yes, uh, sir. I think, I think it's a movie that a lot of people have kind of thrown to the wayside because it was released so early last year. And just like, I know we're not, we're on the same page, Michael. And I appreciate that because it's such a good movie. Um, but yeah, a lot of people have kind of forgotten about it because it came out so early. But for me, it's left a resonating impact since the moment I saw it, just especially the deep voice, like how the film opens with the volcano and you just have the like voice, the like the narration and just it's so deep and like the bass like just hits you to your core, especially seeing it in a theater. I was like, oh, I'm in for a treat here. And uh, this even from the opening like sequence where the camera's like following the boats in the water as they're nearing the village like the town the city and like he's returning to his kingdom uh the um 
what's his name uh the king at the time and that whole uh, like arvindale i think it's arvindale yeah and um that it's just from that moment on and it i was just so hooked to like the sequence between him and and amleth uh and they're like baying dogs and he's telling him how he needs to avenge him or he'll like forever be shamed and like oh just like every moment just like really goes into the next there's not really a, a, a like a pause i think like it's just like continuous uh whether it's action or just like fantastic acting between the, the different characters um and yeah just it was so profound all leading up to like that final battle on the volcano it's just it's so badass like there's no other word to describe it it's just badass and the fact that it's the the kind of the inspiration for hamlet in a way um i thought that that was really cool and you get kind of that a bit of that shakespearean vibe to it but it's just it's so gritty and rugged and bloody and gory and cool yeah i i i'm glad you brought the uh hamlet uh comparison uh, yeah. because hamlet's such the opposite of omelet <laughs> hamlet's very, very introspective so. and like to be or not to be that is the question where he's talking about suicide where omelet couldn't even fathom the 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 phrase even fathom the thought he's always forward he's always thinking of some way to plot and, t and kill his uncle and save his mother um He's always thinking, but they're both like thinking and plotting in different ways. While Hamlet's again more introspective and like a bit more on the just so introspective that it is basically his undoing. While Amleth is so just like get to it, get it done, just get to it, and a lot more like physical and more about hands-on stuff. Is also mm -hmm. his undoing too, though. Right, ultimately. right. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's such a raw movie. And that's and I, the thing that comes with that for me is Robert Eggers' direction and his attention to detail and his desire to make this as immersive as possible, which is such an awesome experience and why I love this. And again, it's just it, you just you you're from that first village raid to the to the time Alma is spending uh, as a slave in the village um, is just it, you're just fully there from from the whole time. And I love the film for it. Seriously, I love the details. Even just like when he has the sword and they say the name and it's just that, like they put that depth and like emphasis is like, and it's like, oh, that just like chills me to my bone. Like even the small detail like that is just super powerful for me. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, It's funny because like this was actually the first, uh, was it best movie of the year I had? So immediately when I came out of it, I was just like, I don't know if this is going to like top everything else, but like this one was, this is it. And it's only like, I think February. Um, but then other movies came out and just kind of like fell out a little bit, but like it was still stuck in my top 10. Um, and it's a shame that a lot of people forgot about this because this movie is just, it's dripped in like lore and just, it's very like um, it's an immersive experience and I'm really sad that a lot of people didn't see it in theaters um, because it's like it is a theater movie and it's a movie that like it takes you have to like kind of like take it or leave it. Um, and then also I think it came at the right time when um was it Elden Ring started to be like very popular so um, just <laughs> watching this kind of reminded me of like playing Elden Ring where you're just like experiencing all these crazy things that are going on and then 
the, the scene where uh was it uh Skarsgård is uh just in this like tomb and then he just sees like this big boss and he just starts to fight it and it's just I don't know it's like really it's really cool very souls like uh yeah it, 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 it is like souls because he dodges a lot he doesn't yeah. get it barely gets hit he doesn't get sliced at all he gets like Dodge he dodges the way he beats it he he dodges um, but uh, I wanted to say, thankfully, I think the Northman made its money back uh, when it went to VOD. So that's all I want to say. Thankfully, I think I heard it made its money back when it went to VOD. But um, I don't know if it made a profit because of that. But I hear at least it made its money back from what I heard from video, video on demand. I Since seeing this in theaters, I, uh, I finally watched. I mean, he's made like three films so far, right? Robert Eggers. Uh, yeah, Lighthouse. I finally watched. Witch. Right, I finally watched all his films, and compared to his two previous films, Lighthouse and The Witch, um, those were very like claustrophobic. Uh, it's just a, a a handful of characters trapped in this one location, and just trying to not go insane. That's that's kind of been his thing going up to this. And what makes Northman so distinct is that it just feels like the antithesis of those films, where Whereas, you know, we're stuck on a log cabin or we're stuck in a lighthouse. There's just so many shots in this film of just so much of the, what was it? It's like an Icelandic kind of scenery with these huge mountains and these large villages that you can see, you know, where we travel from this location and he travels all the way to this location. Like the world we're presented with is so big. And I think that really works for the character of Amleth because he chooses to stay in that one village as a slave. He he can go anywhere he wants. The, the way the, shot, the film is shot, it, he could go anywhere he wants, but he chooses to stay in that village because he just becomes so consumed with revenge. That is the only thing on his mind. Even when he learns like the truth about his father, he, st- he still can't get past it. And even when he has the chance to get away from it all, uh he 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 selfishly thinks that he can have both his wife his new wife and he can get away with his revenge but as the end the end shows that just wasn't possible and i think that's what really stood out to me when watching it it just it chronicles his his self-destructive revenge so well up until the the final moments during the like the best final duel in just about any movie this year I do like how you pointed that. It is self-destructive, but what Robert Eggers does is like, yeah, I know revenge is self-destructive, but this is also really cool. <laughs> like, it's also a really cool journey. Like, he has that balance. Like, revenge is cool, but also I can acknowledge he's basically destroying everyone in his life. He's destroying his life. He's just kind of destroying his marriage. Like, he's destroying, even though he doesn't get officially married, he's destroying everything. But he it, it, it can't acknowledge, like, man, it's a Viking epic. You got to make it look cool and raw. Yeah. Yeah. And he's destroying his uncle's life too. Like they've forgotten about him and they think he's dead, right? Like they have no inclination that he's alive off doing gallivanting, like raiding villages or anything like that. He could like, like TJ said, he could have just like lived his life and gone and done whatever he wanted and not sought out revenge, but then you don't have a sick Viking epic and curses tend to force you to do things and follow through it's kind of like the i think of like the undying curse in harry potter it's like you gotta go through with it no matter what even if it's your undoing uh quentin uh you've kind of been silent what did you think of the northman 
uh, I was with a bunch of goofs during that film. I have no idea what the fuck happened during that theater, but I still remember leaving the theater fucking pumped. Me and my friend stood on like the side of the cineplex outside reenacting the action shots and getting giddy at like some of the badass fucking action scenes. It's just, it's a thrill ride. It's one of those films and maybe this just shows that I'm more of like a casual viewer than the rest of you guys. But like the other two Robert Egger films, I, I don't love is just not my thing. I'm not a big Robert Eggers fan until this film is just a fucking journey. It's so exciting. Yeah. Revenge sucks. And he's literally ruining his own life here. But guess what? It's also fucking badass. And I just had a really fun time with this movie. I love the action. He grabs that arrow and throws it back. Are you fucking kidding me? That's cinema, baby. Oh, it's still in my top 10. It has aged like fine wine. Even though I've only seen it the one time in the worst theater experience of the year, it was still fucking awesome. I, I remember seeing a YouTube comment, like basically in the first trailer where he catches this, it's either the first trailer or the second trailer, where he catches the spirit and throws it back. He said, that's basically like, Amleth is creating a legend in himself. Like that's something you hear in stories about the the soldier who caught a spear and threw it back at the one who uh, who uh, threw it at him. So it's like it's, there's all there's like kind of little moments where there's like these little Viking tales in themselves, which is uh, uh, ah yeah, so good, cool. so good. He's like Achilles, like he just like badass like Achilles and can pretty much do anything. But his he ha- his undoing is having to avenge his father, much like Achilles, his heel is his un- ultimate undoing and love too, but still badass characters who can kill the biggest guy on the field, no problem. Yeah, yeah, him throwing literally, that spear was like a, yeah, him throwing that spear was basically a Viking reverse Uno. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sammy, what did you think? Um, honestly, don't remember much. For some reason, I've been like trying to collect my thoughts. Don't remember much. It's, I had a really good time watching it. Um, I think in terms of like these blockbusters that are trying to be a little bit artsy, I think that's the best out of all of them. I think I like I had problems with Dune a lot too, but in general, I feel like this was more cohesive, worked better. Like, well, like the fight at the end on the volcano, great stuff. Like I watched this at like ten in the night. I was pumped. I was ready to go for like another what another few hours if they had it. I had a really good time, but um, don't have much to say other than that. Except I think I think this is like Eggers. Like I think. Because you usually with uh with, with like what Eggers does is like his bad his backdrops are pretty simple, and then he builds off of that. I feel like this was pretty interesting because he kept it simple the whole way through, but just try to like find different layers of like motivations to these characters other than revenge. I found that much more interesting, especially when you're having shit like you know catching like a catching a spear and then throwing it back. What I have a question though. What did you guys yeah, think of Nicole Kidman in this? Because if there's one thing that doesn't work in this movie, oh God, it's Nicole Kidman. That's okay, like I, that's, no, no, no. I'm I want to say this though. I, I, I think Nicole Kidman kind of gives this weird energy in any movie. Yeah, she's in. I think true. she never assimilates into the movie she's. Because I, I, I watched The Beguiled, like, like, like the Sofia Coppola movie the other day. It's called yeah. The Beguiled. Uh, it's like it's so out that she does not fit in at all. She's it's such a weird energy, but I think it always works for me. Like I never, it's mm. never a complaint. It's just. I, to the experience. I think it works here, um, especially the reveal. Uh, but um, I don't know. Like, I thought she was great here. Um, and it, it actually helps a lot when um, you finally understand what uh, her, her character is going through. Um, but I don't know. That's probably like a preference thing. Like, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I can I can totally understand um people not uh, enjoying Kidman's performance in this or being like a little bit like I don't know, skeptical of her performance. She just like she kinda... I, sorry, go ahead, Michael. Go for it. I was gonna say I can I could see why she would take you out because um her like kind of monologue, I wouldn't say it's a monologue, it's more like I mean there yeah, are like mini confessing. monologues, but it's, like she's her confession, like yeah. it's great acting. But it's kind of just out of place, and I get it's jarring. Like it's jarring to Amleth, um, but it's also like I can kind of see where coming from. I think she works. I think her, she works best when she's not trying to Nicole Kidman or like like she's not trying to do some like riveting like scene chewing acting. I think her best acting is when she's kind of in the ground, like at the background, kind of like plot, like kind of being kind of being not the mastermind but kind of like always pointing the like uh uncle what not claudius because that's hamlet the uncle in the right direction like i think she works best there which is kind of like kind of the mastermind but not i think she worked right. that's some of her best like her character works best there um so i see where you're coming from Sush. i think she was great but uh but i can also see where you're coming from because she kind of does take me out of it sometimes just sometimes yeah. Not not to like transition to um to like our favorite parts ending section, but I was going to say because I knew everyone was going to choose the final duel. I was thinking that I was going to choose the Nicole Kidman scene, um, where she's revealing everything to Amleth. And I think you bring up great points with her very jarring performance. But I actually think that to me at least that's why the scene works. It put me like watching it in the theater. It put me with on at such unease with her character where she almost seems kind of bit crazy you can't tell exactly what she's feeling at, at points it kind of feels like is she like mocking him is she trying to insult him to get him out of there is he is she trying to convince him like what is going through her head uh, and i just really love that scene because it's hitting amleth like a truck and he's doing a lot of like reassuring of himself and trying to keep what he's thought for so long but then you just have Nicole Kidman just going wild with her performance and being like, because again, because it's just one of the performances where I couldn't tell what she was thinking. I can see how that wouldn't work for other scenes, but for this, I thought it actually worked really well. I yeah. will agree. I, I think it did work. I I think for me, it's just that it it is Nicole Kidman. Like Ethan Hawke is a big actor, sure, and so is Annie Taylor Joy. But for whatever reason, for me, they like really blended into the film. Like I didn't see them; I saw their characters. Whereas with Nicole Kidman, I was just like, "That's just Nicole Kidman with a weird accent." And the performance in that scene is great. Like I'm intimidated by her. I'm like, "Wow, she's really got." I know Skarsgård at the balls here. He's, she's she's like really messing with her son. She just doesn't care about him at all. And I thought that was really good. But it, I was the whole time I'm thinking, this is Nicole Kidman. Like, I wonder if, if someone who like blends into the film a little bit more, if that would have worked better for the for that performance. Because every time she came on screen, I'm just like, that's like Hollywood royalty right there. Like I just was taken out by having all these kind of lesser known actors are like character actors and then Nicole Kidman who's like really known for her looks especially um yeah so that that's me with Nicole Kidman at least but it doesn't break the film for me and like this is my top this is my number one of the year so um it doesn't 
break the film or do it any harm. It's just like, it is a weird bit that I've been questioning since I've seen it. Yeah, I think aside from the AMC commercial, this is her best performance of the last couple of years. <laughs> I I thought Nicole Gill was great at it. Um, but yeah, you know, she, she's probably the worst performance of the movie, but I still thought she was really good. And maybe it's because I haven't rewatched it and I'm still living off the hype of her kind of twist reveal halfway through the film. Like that was such a cool moment. And so maybe I just equate to her moment to being her performance and I just really like it. But I, you know, I, I thought, you know, I thought Kim was good. It pretty, I mean, she pretty much is her moment. She has like, yeah, that's that scene really. And it is a standout scene because it's that confrontation. But yeah, she, otherwise she's just there. But the fact that it's Nicole Kidman, it just stands out for me more than like, you know, when they're panning through the like characters, it's like, oh, Nicole Kidman. Oh, there she is. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I want to just point out, I think there are a lot of things that have made me uncomfortable throughout the, uh, throughout the year. But the thing that has definitely stood out was the kiss between Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, that was weird. Uh, that was uh, weird. I was like, Ugh, I know. What are you it's doing? Just, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just one of those things that I think have stuck out with to me throughout the year. Is yeah. that, um, is that, is that for sure. Yeah. But that sh- what is, <laughs> quit. Me too. Low key. Hey yo, hey yo, hey yo, pause. <laughs> Boss, um, Seuss, what is your favorite scene? This is your pick. Oh man, there's so many great scenes. I think like this movie just really has these amazing snapshots throughout. And I'm trying to think of my favorite scene, I really like the sequence when they like him and Anya Taylor Joy, like Amleth and Anya's character, they like work together to um, like poison the guards. And they start hallucinating and like attacking each other and everything. And he's just like sneaking through and like doing his like mischievous things and killing people. I really like that sequence. Um, and then that encounter with the, what would you call him? Like a shaman in the cave. And he's got he Willem Dafoe. I think it's a he witch. Yeah. And he's got the head there. And like they have that sequence of like looking like he's like just like giving him the prophecy and everything like i thought that was a really cool encounter and the end i got us like i mean i feel like a lot of people are going to say the end but that the way the movie ends is is fucking perfect like if you haven't seen it here like just quick spoiler but the like battle happens and then yeah he's taken off by the valkyrie into the sky and it's just that music is like really like coming in full force yeah the drums and everything and then it's just like cut to black like whoa that was an experience so yeah those are those are some of my favorite scenes yeah um the duel, the duel. yeah yes. the volcano duel is one of my favorite scenes but i'm also gonna i'm actually gonna pick the bjork scene where it's oh my god i was where... i was holding that in and yeah okay, because like... I'm, I'm going with jack here you don't even have to ask me. yeah right because it's like we haven't seen Bjork act in like a long time and then she just shows up and it's just like whoa and um it kind of reminds you of uh whoa the, the video of her going to Bangkok and beating the reporter and uh I don't know it's weird like I like Bjork <laughs> so when when that scene happened I was just like oh shit it's Bjork and she's doing her Bjork thing and it's kind of like a, a, like another uh, affirmation scene where 
um, the two uh, characters have like a connection and then it just helps uh, the main character grow and then kind of like move on and do his thing. I don't know. I love that scene. Yeah, that's good. I love the voice effect they have on her. It's the wispy kind of. And it just like really like it hits your bones and you're like, oh, okay. Like I feel this. Here's your tear. Like gives him the tear. And you're like, oh, yeah. I like that scene too. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I mentioned my favorite scene, the uh, the final duel. I was uh, also mentioned the village raid, the one take. It's like two takes, but you know that that was also really great and visceral. Um, but uh, let's move on to the final film. Quentin, your film is RRR. Why did you choose RRR? Because it's the fucking best. That's why, baby. Love that film. In a year of, you know, horror was really good this year, but, you know, we just talked about The Northman. We just talked about everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, we did not talk about Top Gun Maverick, but that falls in this category as well. I think this might be one of the best years of action movies. And what better way to end this podcast than with the best action film of the year, in my opinion, and that's RRR. Like, you know, say what you want about the movie. Uh, it's a three-hour Indian flick, but let me fucking tell you, it is visually the coolest action scenes I've seen in quite some time. And so, you know, obviously Top Gun Maverick is my favorite film of the year, but I feel like people do talk about RRR a decent amount, but maybe they just don't see it. You know, Sush hasn't seen it on this call. Probably some listeners haven't. If you haven't seen it, I know it's three hours. Trust me, it flies by. I was... I threw it on and I plan on watching half one day and then I was going to watch the half, like the other half, you know, when I wake, when I woke up the next morning, cause it was getting pretty late. Uh, I finished the whole movie. And when, when the movie was over, I just went, oh, wait, what the fuck? It's that was three hours. Like, Oh my God, it's 2 AM. I didn't realize I stayed up this late. I thought I was just going to watch half of it. Like it just flew by. So yeah, I think RR is really, really fun. It's a thrill. Uh, it, it just it looks great. I don't know how the fuck they made these action scenes look so incredible on a relatively smaller budget compared to, you know, at least American blockbusters, but I just think it looks really, really good. Yeah, it's just a thrill ride. It's amazing. It's incredible. Uh, like, I, I just heard that it's crazy, and then you go into it, and like, whoa, what is all this? And I may have been spoiled. Like, I don't think, even if you were spoiled, it just doesn't, it does not prepare you for what you're gonna go in um and like with with these with indian movies they always incorporate musical numbers and then i did not expect musical numbers to work as well as they did and i was just fully into it you're just fully into it as soon as the uh as the film starts and i didn't expect it to be as brutal as it was like it was bloody and i'm like oh so this is actually our art okay and i'm like not RRR, but this is R rated R. Okay, okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm down. I'm down. You want to know the yeah. funniest thing about that? I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. in India, it's 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 given the equivalent of like a PG-13. We go hard with our shit, so this is like this Heck is yeah. like kind of tame. I won't even lie. And like, no, it's I I uh, I think this is like one of the only like Indian movies I've really recommended on like a very large scale because I watched this like opening weekend when it came out like in the states like with everyone else so this is on the hype of people in india and me and people here 
And then it was just like me in the theater. It was like me in the theater and like a whole group of like 20 people just like walked in and everyone just started going nuts over everything. And it was great. And I, I think this is one of the movies where like the songs is incorporated pretty well. It doesn't stop the plot because like this last week, I just watched three Indian movies back to back to back because this is like our big season. And then every song almost killed me on the inside because it just stopped the momentum and it was nonsense. But in our, like, it doesn't stop the momentum. Like, it's very much story-based, so it's it works in that way. So I recommended, like, this pretty big... Did not expect it to catch on as much as it did. Like, I did not expect people just go dancing on stage at the LA theater. That was nuts to me. It won, what, the Golden Globe 2 for the song? Great. But yeah, great time. Like, it keeps on spiraling out of control. Like, you know, it keeps on upping itself. Every scene is just, like, crazier and crazier until the last, until, like, a motorbike sent flying through the air. Yeah. I think, I honestly, even, like, a, on a dramatic level, I think it's pretty successful. I think I enjoy this much more than Top Gun Maverick, I think, which is fair. But I also, but, yeah, this came out in the time where, like, blockbusters kind of sucked for us. Because we were like MCU for it was just a lot of MCU fare, a lot of boring, bland blockbusters. And this is like, holy shit, we're not doing it right. Yeah, I love this movie. Um, I actually saw it um in theaters uh after a bunch of people were like spamming it on uh social media, like you gotta see this, you gotta see this. And I was just like, Oh no, man, I don't have time for a three-hour uh uh Tollywood movie. Um, but then after just like reading everything about it, I was just like, you know what? Let me just give it a spin. Um, I don't know what the whole thing is about. And then I just watched this thing and I was just like sucked in throughout the whole entire movie. Um, and it's one of those movies that you have to like take it as it is. And um, also just like the theater experience was just like fucking awesome. Like they cranked up like the speakers to like 200% and it's just like very loud and like... You have like the whole was it like trailers for like the other um Tollywood movies that are coming out this year and, and it's just you're just watching those trailers and they're like all ridiculous and they have like crazy like musical numbers it, it was it's very immersive and then once it gets to the movie and you're just like watching these like two brother well friends just have like the most like brotherly like relationship and then like and then just the whole like dance sequence in the middle it's just I don't know like it's it's very like immersive and like it's one of the most funnest movies I've seen this year um, compared to like everything everywhere and like Top Gun Maverick and Avatar. Like last year, like 2022 was just like the year for like maximalist like films and just like movies that have like big stuff and like bold and very like immersive. Um, But yeah, like I love this movie. Yeah. This film was just a ride. Like it just, it just went 100 or that that's a little too little. But it went 200% with everything it did, right? It just, it's, like, because it's three hours long, and you'd think that, like, they wouldn't find a good way to fill up all that time, but they do, right? Like, no time feels wasted because, like, it never stops. It never stops. Um, It slows down very little. And even when it does slow down, it feels necessary. But, like, the action scenes are just so worth it and like everything is done with this insane energy that's really hard to describe um but just like it when it when it's these two guys fighting anything or when it's like beam and raju whatever they're doing it doesn't just feel like two normal dudes doing it It feels like these fucking gods just like battling with all of the forces of nature like i know that's 
it's a bit extreme, but it really does feel like that. Like each punch they throw, each like uh, weapon they use, like whether it's just like I remember in like that one scene in the middle where they're fight, they're finally duel, and he's like wielding the chains that are hooked up to like the the gate posts, and he's like slamming them down to the ground and causing like earthquakes. Or like when he jumps off the seat off the truck with the tiger to save the little girl. And it's not even just those scenes. Like some of my favorite scenes in the movie aren't even fight scenes. They're like the scene um, with uh, the dance off, the epic dance off where they're taking on all the, the rich people. And then Raju lets Beam have the, the victory or the, the scene where they become friends. Then they just look into each other's eyes and they, instantly know what's going on they save the kid they realize that they're meant to be together forever um and just think just the way it goes and i love how the whole movie you're just kind of thinking because they're on opposite sides of the war but they don't know that um and just when it gets to that point it's only halfway through so you think okay what what are they going to do for the rest of the film because like that could easily be the climax is their duel and then it keeps going and then you get the actual climax which is even cooler where they're escaping the prison it's just there's so much to talk about, but it, it just feels like you need to believe it to see it because like to someone who hasn't seen this, so this might not seem like one of the best movies ever, but like it is. It is one of the best movies ever. Uh just for how hard it goes. And it's one of those movies I would recommend to people who don't usually watch foreign films. Um, even if like it's not in the land, because like I have a lot of friends and a lot of family who just they don't like watching films where they have to read subtitles but this film is worth it man this film films like this and like parasite just i i like how they're finally starting to enter the mainstream more and more and more people are willing to give them a shot and like just discovering how much cool shit there is when you decide not to just watch boring hollywood movies yeah i will say as someone who hasn't seen the film my like Instagram stories have just been flooded with random people watching RRR. So that just goes to show how much it's kind of seeping into uh, Western movie watchers and just the average movie watcher too. So I, I, I'm excited to watch it and I'm glad to see that it's getting traction with uh, the everyday folk. I think the, the appeal about it is the fact that it's just so crazy and people are just like, I, I think people forget that foreign films aren't just like drive my car all the time. <laughs> foreign films aren't just these slow, like super serious stuff. Like people forget like the, one of the most beloved action movies of the 20 of the 2010s was the raid. And that's granted that's directed by an English director, but that's not in English at all. It's in uh, Taiwanese. So the raid is beloved by people who love action movies and it's still beloved by people who watch a lot of movies and people know the raid, but it's not in English and people love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but that's not in English. But I think, again, the main appeal of it is the bonkers nature, not bonkers like like crazy, like something like Bardo or Annette of last year, which is absolutely insane. But it was just like, you can't stop watching it because you don't know where it's going to go. And um, I like how uh t-rex pointed out it's like two gods coming at each other because in their duel and it's they're basically like the masters of elements where raju is the master of fire and 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 earth whereas beam is like the the master of water and air you know they both use that to their advantage 
and their their fight's really cool. Like Bean does not want to fight Raju, and neither does Raju want to fight. Like they both don't want to fight each other in different ways. Like Raju's just trying to get the arrest over with so he can get promoted and get what his objective is. Well, Beam is like his brother has betrayed him, and he he um, he doesn't want to fight him, and they eventually do, and it's an awesome fight. Like they're using pillars against each other. They're throwing. They threw tiger. I don't know if they throw tigers or something, but they throw like ball, their balls to the wall, throwing everything except the kitchen sink. They nearly throw something like a kitchen sink at each other, but um, that whole fight scene. Um, oh, another thing I want to point out that I really liked is that they acknowledge the fact that there's a language barrier between the love interests. So Beam's trying to talk to, what is it, Julie? I can't remember her name. Um, but she's trying to talk, and she's like, I don't understand you. So, and usually in some movies, like, they speak their natural language, and the person, like, understands them, despite singing, like, speaking English. Like, they completely understand, like, oh. Like, they acknowledge the language barrier, which is, which is nice for once. Yeah, I love the the bromance, the romance, you know, uh, like all the characters interactions are really fun. Uh, and as someone that does not like music, if Natuna 2 wins best song, it would be the greatest best song winner in my entire life. I would absolutely be stoked if that song somehow ended up winning the Oscar because what a fucking bop. I love that song. And it, it integrates in the film. It looks incredible. It looks just as exciting and you know, thrilling as any of the action scenes in this movie, which, you know, are, look fucking great already. Like, and, and you could just pick up any action scene. I'm sure we might all have a different action scene that's our favorite. That's just how good it is. It's not like there's one action scene that we point to go, oh yeah, that's the big scene, which like most action films have like one big action scene that everyone can kind of agree. Oh yeah, that's the best. So this one, I feel like every action scene is fucking exciting. Every single one looks incredible and is thrilling whether it be the tiger scene at the beginning or whether it be you know the, the the military scene with like the fire in his glasses early in the beginning or the bridge scene or the final fight like every fight scene is fucking awesome uh and, and that's what makes it so exciting it's not like it starts strong or it ends strong it's a three-hour film and every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes there is a fucking awesome fight scene. Like, I'm excited for all three hours. I just think it's exciting. It makes me want to revisit this as much as possible. And aside from everything, everywhere, all at once, this is the second one I go to to recommend people. They go up to me and go, oh, yeah, I just watched Everything, Everything. Sorry, Everything, Everywhere. Thank you for recommending that, Quentin. What should I see next that came out this year? I go to RRR. Even though it's foreign, most people don't really like foreign films, especially, you know, like my family or something. This is what I recommend because it's it's just action. It's just fucking awesome looking. And, uh, you know, I haven't heard any complaints yet. So either they haven't seen it or they liked it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I generally speaking, I don't think, I think even though people are like, I remember seeing like TikToks and stuff, people saying it was crazy. I haven't heard like generally one complaint, like this movie's bad. Like I maybe, maybe had like, a, usually the people that I heard like the movie was bad was from was usually like, Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like Indian saying, this is your average Hollywood movie. I'm like, if this is your average Hollywood movie, I don't know. I'm like, this, this is just crazy. This is crazy. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I think the biggest issue with it is just the politics of it because it is very simplified. Or because like uh, one of the biggest things with it is because like um, Beam is like, Muslim and then he he's basically using that as like an identity or like 
he's using that as a cover to like infiltrate and then he takes it off and he's like oh my god this is this is who I am this is me as a true Indian which is again playing into a lot of like the you know a, a lot of the phobia against like Muslim people in India but other than that like that's like my main problem I guess that stood out and I feel like I do not care to be honest for the most part because I don't think the movie itself cares enough pretty fantastical to care I think the most interesting interesting thing about it is because um is really with how these action scenes don't really even like work with tension like we know they're gonna kick ass like it doesn't matter like the the only logic they work with is how badly they want to kill these people and that's awesome and I think that's great because but honestly that's how like most Hollywood movies work like there's no um there, there's no like way you'll expect the hero to eventually die or even even if he takes a, uh if he takes a beating that's just more of a reason to kill the other guy and that's just cool and I feel like I feel like that's really I don't know I feel like that's more of the reason people like gravitated to this as as an action movie compared to like what an American blockbuster does because if you have something like Black Adam which is just because that movie is basically just action from front to back too but it sucks because it's working with like tension and and it doesn't matter because you know he's gonna win so like what's the point and then this one kind of is the best version of that or it's like how to do it you you bring up a good point because like in the in the duel between beam and Raju, i didn't know who was gonna win because that i was so on the edge of my seat because the film had spent so much time building up both of their characters like they literally give both character to introduce them they give them each their own badass fight scene so i was thinking who's gonna win like who is one of them gonna try and get the other one to join their cause is one of them gonna succeed who is going to win this and i just i kept going back and forth and that's what really helped sell this movie i think not only just the action but because it is so far removed from relying on other properties and other tropes you're able to just experience something and not know what's going to happen it is so ultimately it is kind of predictable but at the same time it's really not like obviously you know the bad the good guys win in the end but the journey to get there just has twists and turns that aren't like you know the best twists of all time but because you're so invested and you're so immersed in everything going on you just get swept up in the plot and how it's dragging you along but you're just so especially on first watch, you just don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think you may know, like, I think, yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, the twists aren't the best, but you're still invested. Like, I think my favorite twist is the fact that they, when they both figure out, um, uh, like, Bean figures out who Raju really is, really is, when, at the party, when he comes back, but Raju figures out um, who Beam is when he sees the back of a truck, like he figures out the paint thing and he realizes all that, not the back of the truck, um, when he, when he's on his death, on his deathbed and then the tensions created there. So, uh, I think Hollywood does that, but I, I, I also kind of agree, but I think that's why we love it all the more. And I think what Sammy said about the politics, like Top Gun's politics aren't the most accurate or the best or the simplistic but that's why we like it. <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. I, I think with like Top Gun Maverick, it doesn't even like it's it, it's doing it on purpose because like it doesn't specify what the enemy is. So it's like trying to make it's trying to do its best to make you not even think about it, not even try to like approach the topic, which is honestly, in a way, you could say that's even more sinister because then it's just going into like full on American, you know, 
on like the military is just going on its bandwagon and saying, oh, we don't care who the enemy is. We'll just fight them regardless of anything. But again, it doesn't matter. It's it's all made to make you have a good time. So, right. I mean, I think you can't. Sorry. Oh, no, go for it, TJ. Go for it. You can't really make a movie about the American military that doesn't, it, like, to be fair, it doesn't really attempt to criticize it that much. But you can definitely tell that. Top Gun Maverick's main concern is with the characters and that and the action, and that's why it works so well. Despite it, it does kind of feel a bit propaganda-ish at points, but you don't really care. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not about the plane; it's about the pilot flying the plane. So mm-hmm. much like the movie, it's not really about the mission that they're doing; it's about the people flying the mission. But I don't know. Even that most anti-war films can be pro-war for some people it just it all depends on perspective and how you look at it i think i think the same thing with rr could be said i think it is propaganda but we don't care <laughs> we don't care yeah the uh, only thing is i say it's better to address it at least know what you're watching because i feel like a lot of people are going this without the perspective of knowing like what the background is because it is a little harmful in how what it is that's like the only complaint i feel like i don't know what you can do to you know really battle that but like also if you don't care that's fine it's just if you buy into it 100 it can like you know it could just like you know seamlessly wrap into your brain be like okay this is how it works and it obviously is a little fantastical you just have to make the distinction which is fine yeah i mean i can compare that also to the woman king um when you actually look into the history of behind uh, the dahomey tribe they were actually the slave traders and it's just like damn <laughs> but the movie itself isn't really good so um yeah, I can, I can, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I think I would agree. Like, I think it's important to understand what you're watching and diving into, um, just so you can at least make that acknowledgement of of the thing that you're consuming, because then you, you're at least you're aware of it, and you're not going to be, you know, tricked or fall for the propaganda or whatever and come away with it thinking oh look at this i know this fact when it's not really a fact but there are a lot of people out there who do kind of fall into those traps and don't acknowledge it don't realize that maybe something is satirical or a commentary or uh, you know propaganda and i guess that's what makes effective propaganda right i mean yeah i mean you look at it and like the u.s military just you would not believe just how many films they help make um like they let that it's like an exchange to we let you use like equipment and stuff from us but we get to dictate how you depict the military um and usually i'd say that doesn't really get in the way of most films uh like they help out with most marvel films but most marvel films really aren't about the military but yeah just so many films these days like in the state that they are they can't get made without being just a little bit propagandistic if that's a word yeah like top gun doesn't really say anything bad about the military but it does comment on like the bureaucracy and the red tape that they experience so there is like that commentary towards it so it all depends on how you look at it right yeah right um sammy it's time to wrap up what is your favorite scene from uh rrr Ooh, wait, honest, I think it, it might be the introduction to Beam, because I remember seeing that in the theater and everyone went wild when that came up. And also, I think the shot where it's, it's basically the camera's like rotating 180 degrees, and then you can see his reflection on the water. So it's just the shot happening twice on the screen. It's great. I love that. Um, 
So I'm probably going to go with the, the intermission um, because it's actually like another like major plot point in the movie that kind of like changes the perspective of one of the characters. Um, and also it's just like a crazy like intermission because us Americans expect like an intermission just to be like a complete like intermission where the movie just stops. But like the movie actually keeps on going and it's like a entirely different like story that actually has a point later into the main story. If that makes sense. I'm just going to cut in, claim it now. Favorite scene, easily uh, when Bean and Raju first become friends. I don't know if that's anyone else's favorite scene, but like, I just, I love the way it went where, you know, like I said earlier, they just look into each other's eyes. They know what they got to do to save this kid. They pull off this like trapeze thing going with the rope across the bridge. And then when they like, they lock hands like that, and just the title thing starts and the music blares. And then you get this awesome montage of them just hanging out and being the manliest of men. Uh, it's, I, it's like, it's badass and wholesome at the same time. Even if you know it might not work out, you just get so invested in it because you can tell these dudes just love each other and they came together in the most epic way possible, which is really just... I, I would expect nothing less from this movie in terms of them starting their relationship. They started out on a high note and ended on a high note, obviously. Yeah, the bridge scene's the best. I'm with you. It's such a good fucking scene. Yeah, it's just, you know, you love both these characters. They're so good in the first 30 minutes when they set them up, and then they just come together in unison to save this kid. Fucking awesome. Yeah, easily my favorite scene. I, I love that one. Wow, I'm surprised nobody claimed it. Bro, Natu Natu is my favorite. I love the dance number. The energy, like, people said, like, West Side Story was so energetic. And I'm like, I love Spielberg. But I'm like, I feel like this had the energy that I thought West Side Story should have had. Like, it was just so energetic. And it just, the drums, but it builds near the end of the music. Uh, like, basically, every time I'm playing that in the car, it's in my, it was in my top 100 songs from Spotify. Anytime the drums start playing, I just crank the music up because I'm just like, ah, I want to feel that energy. Um, um, such a great scene. It's always nice to see the English, especially the British, get foiled and, and, and look like look like uh, look like fools. So that always warms my American heart. So I was I was with the I was with the English there. Uh, I was with the uh, with the Raju and Beam. So that was nice. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you all for listening. Um, this was great to talk about these films. I, I love hearing people's insights, even though I may not love these films as much as other people or be much a fan of these films. It's always here, nice to hear this group discussion and what everybody thought about it. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you so much uh, for playing this. Uh, it's, it was really fun. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. And thank yeah. you for everybody to being here i love you guys yeah thanks for like always doing this like it's always so fun to like pick the best movie that i thought was like the best of the year and also what i love is also just because everyone else usually picks and picks a bunch of movies that i hadn't seen and probably wouldn't have seen if not for this podcast and that just introduced me to so many other great movies this year um and i also just think that this year was i honestly think it was better than 2021 in terms of films um i just got so much sucked into so many more great films and i'm really glad that i got to discuss all of these in detail with so many other like 
minds with so many of these other great perspectives on these films that uh, I mostly loved. I like I liked all the films that we talked about at least a little bit. I mean, I, like yeah, like even though even the film I thought was my least favorite, I still really really liked. So thank you again for having us on here. Which film was your least favorite, Trex? I mean, I, this is probably just because I just saw it last night. I, I, uh, Bardo, I still need time to process Bardo and fully figure out my feelings on it. Compared oh, that's to everything fine. Else, that's fine. I was expecting, like, I, I chose it because I expected it to be divisive and to come in. And people said, oh, I, I like, at least liked it, was uh, is a win for me. So you're I, fine. I did, I didn't I'm really, not offended. I did not want to call you up. But yeah, I still really enjoyed that film. <laughs> Even if I was, I felt really lost at points. Uh, but yeah, just great selection of films we had here. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Good conversation, everybody. Lots of fun. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone in listening had fun and enjoyed this uh, chat we had. Sammy, any parting words before we close up? Well, until next year, you know. Until yeah, next year. We got Megan, so we're going strong. Yeah, Megan, we got Megan. And Cocaine Bear's coming out. Right, <laughs> right. Are we, are we going to get the right. Scorsese movie this year, too? Is that, yeah, is that we're on getting, the cards? We're getting yeah, Scorsese. it's supposed to come out over the summer. Thank Apparently, God. finally. And we're also getting a Nolan movie. We're getting uh, Barbie. We're getting Dune Part 2. And we're also getting, getting Cross. There's another Luca, Luca movie coming out this year. Oh, what, what, isn't that the one with... Um, what's their name? Isn't that with uh, Kristen Stewart and then somebody else? Or is that a different thing? No, this one's uh, with Zendaya and... Um, was it uh josh o'connor um it's like a it's a tennis like story where uh oh fun yeah it's another romance movie but like it's it's set in the tennis world we're also getting two i mean for the last you know the last two years of mcu movies i'd say like two of the more anticipated films with guardians 3 and ant-man quantumania they both look pretty decent so i don't know it might be a resurgence for MCU this year. Sush, I'm so with you there. I'm I've been more hyped for MCU now than I have been in a while. I'm so looking forward yeah. to those two movies. Contamania um, looks cool. I just love Jonathan Majors, and I think him as Kang is going to be so cool. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, but I'm excited. Uh, I'm kind of excited for the Flash. Um, I'm just putting that out there. That'll be oh, so messy. That it should just be a good looks there. It's going to be a good time. It is. Um, It'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm. I'm just excited for two two of my favorite filmmakers this year. You got Miyazaki and you got Wes Anderson, yeah. both putting out a. Wes film Anderson this year. has two, right? This year he has two. Well, he's released. He has, like, one has, he's just Asteroid doing City. Asteroid City this year, but he yeah. does have. He's working on two like simultaneously. The dude's a. Machine. I thought he wrapped one already, but apparently not. Yeah, Asteroid you City ra- is wrapped. We also might get. Uh, a new Terrence Malick movie, so I'm excited for that. Oh, I love Terrence. Cool. Cool. Nice. Basically, he's yeah, the most hopefully. Um, we didn't Ma- mention Malachian Mission Impossible. Impossible. That's, That's true. Be like, the, like, uh, like the IMAX preview for that was insane. I can't wait. Like, yeah, so imagine much. promoting a film with a seven-minute like stunt documentary. Like that was so cool. That was a good idea. Yeah, and then he jumped out of a helicopter afterwards and just thanked the crowd for going to the movie. Yeah. Great. Legend. <laughs> yeah, Ready. right. I love that. I love it. Wait, doesn't he do that? Did he do that at the end of Top Gun, or was that just like one of the promos no, that, for the movie that was where he's like on the plane? Yeah, he's on the wing. It's insane. Tom, <laughs> so to Tom Cruise, adrenaline is a drug, and it has thoroughly worn off on him at this point. 
He, he, can just he do has, anything. He has the Scientology yeah. blood in him. <laughs> he gained this through right. the sacrifices. Yeah. Right. Uh, for the better, though. <laughs> yeah. We're uh, all reaping benefits from it. I know. Spider-Verse 2. Spider-Verse 2? Yeah, right. that's true. That's a good one. All right. I'll see you guys next year. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and if you did, be sure to be on the lookout for more episodes in the future. I think we're done here, so please, step out of my office.